can't handle the truth. No, Jack, you can't handle the truth. See, the truth is that All Things Film offers the best value in free movie podcasts on the internet. That's right, free, as in it costs you nothing. Daily Grindhouse, Films and Swearing, a movie podcast. It was only a pound. La La Film, Maths Movie Side UK, Podcast on Fire, and of course, Film Sploitation, the All Things Film podcast. All free and all available online on iTunes, on the podcast app, on Stitcher, on TuneIn Radio, direct or from www.allthingsfilm.co.uk. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. See, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a podcaster. All Things Film, the premium film movie podcast feed on the net. Welcome to Japanofire 18, and uh, we are starting a new series on a new figure, a new particular figure out of Japanese cinema. I don't know that many of them, so I picked those few ones I know. And years ago, I was recommended checking out the work of Sabu. Uh, I responded well to watching uh, three of his movies. Uh, I put down the fandom after that point. I didn't pursue the filmography further. But now that there is a podcast series on Japanese cinema that I'm involved in and produce. It's a good op to pick up where I left off and revisit what I liked in the first place. And uh, that is all uh, set up uh, for a couple of episodes uh, on this director, Sabu. And for this first one, we'll talk of his first two movies. And they are Dangan Runner, aka Nonstop from 1996, and Postman Blues from 1997. And by we, I'm talking about me, myself, Kennedy, and the cinema shows. Coffin John, who's back to uh, school me on Japanese cinema. So uh, we'll soon find out also, by the way, if he's uh, he was anime's public enemy number one. So we'll find out if he's uh, is uh, his Sabu fandom on the same note too. Yeah, well, good to be back on the show, Kenneth. And uh, just so the listeners know, um, we do have a super special guest who's also in the room. Um, in case you might hear any whining, screaming, or me yelling sit or shut up i'm not talking to kenneth i'm talking to my dog yeah right i'm talking to my dog i'm dog sitting my dog today and she's being a little energetic so uh apologies in advance it's a morning dude i mean uh they they, i I assume your dog is not a nocturnal dog but actually sleeps at night and then in the morning it's fun times again yes yes exactly so we'll we'll uh, we'll get to uh, talking of uh, Sabu and uh, our personal experiences and our personal uh, like or dislike of uh, this filmmaker in a little bit. So let's uh, let's uh, get through the contact information first. First of all, uh, this is Japan on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network website for this show, all the other shows and the bonus episodes. Uh, that is podcastonfire.com. Email us if you have any feedback, questions, etc. Podcastonfire at googlemail.com. 
Uh, join us over on Facebook. Uh, we have our regular page that you can uh, like and follow updates on facebook.com forward slash POF network. And we also have a discussion group that you can reach by following the link in the about section on that page or type in podcast or fire network in the Facebook search bar and follow show updates and chat over there. Uh, tweet us and follow our tweets, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. And my Reviews, writing, uh, um, not so much Japanese cinema. Every now and again, there's a co-production, so uh, so Japan uh, triggers in that way. Uh, SoGoodReviews.com and SleazyKVideo.com is the site for my video reviews. I do Hong Kong cinema, I do Taiwanese cinema, and I write about those uh, stupid uh, ninja movies that no one likes except for five people five people in the world. You know, us God, Godfrey Ho lovers, uh, the five of us, so we got to stick together and... Uh, hail and uh, love the way they explo- exploited poor old Richard Harrison throughout the years because we're like that, you know. <laughs> we like people that are exploited. Uh, but uh, let's. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, I'm on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash so good reviews, and we are on iTunes as well, Japan on Fire. And if you like the show, leave a rating, subscribe to it if you want to get the latest shows, and uh, please take a little time out of your day to leave a written comment. Uh, that will act perfectly fine as a review. So thank you very much. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio if you don't like downloading podcasts to your preferred device. You can do that on the website, stitcher.com, but the best way is to download the application, for instance, to the iPhone. And that uh, is free. And once you're in Stitcher, type in Japan Fire to find us, add us to your lists, and to follow the latest uh, updates there. And I think there is a comment system on Stitcher nowadays as well, so please feel free to leave a comment. TheCinemaShow.com, John, your big old blog. I mean, I... I, I of course, I knew you first as a podcast. I just have a feeling that the blog has like exploded compared to when I first got uh, like um, was aware of the cinema show.com. It's a very, very active blog. So uh, good on you for that. But uh, for listeners who do not know what you do over there, please uh, let, let them know a little bit. Sure. Yeah. The cinema is an Asian film blog. We do primarily review, uh, but we do some uh, discussions and long-form articles. Um, and as uh, Ken said, uh, you can access our blog at the Cinema Show. That's s h o w dot com. Um, we can also be reached at uh, on Twitter uh, at the Cinema Show. Again, s h o w. And then we also have a Facebook uh, group that's kind of uh, more like a, a news aggregator, and you know we post uh, links to our, our reviews and, and stuff that are that's on our site as well. Um, we do a very broad spectrum of cinema. Uh, we're not really confined much by uh, genre. Um, I, I would say more so, I guess, by region. But um, so if um, you know our current. EIC, who's uh, Dr. John Barra, um, who's a professor from China. He is, he's uh, doing a lot of work for the blog right now, and I would say the leanings are more towards, uh, you know, having a, again a b- very broad spectrum of uh, films to review. So, if you want to see like, you know, the films that are just starting to come into the, uh, the um, into the non-Asian regions, I think our blog is probably one to catch because a lot of our writers. Uh, are able to catch uh, films that are right in that transition between their native countries and uh, the outside countries. So, um, you know, check us out, vcinemashow.com. That is indeed a great advantage to have uh, writers placed uh, in different regions. And really, uh, because the, a lot of movies, even if they're not mainstream, some people want to like get the scoop 
right away. Like uh, yeah, they, they, yeah. They, they even probably look at maybe not Rotten Tomatoes for the latest Asian uh, movie or anything, but they they really want to get that first uh, first taste, first look, and it's a good uh, thing that you can act as uh, that uh, you can be a facilitator in terms of that. So uh, you, you even reviewed the new Sabu movie. I think that was fairly uh, new uh, in terms of its release. Uh, when right, you yeah. Review it, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, that one just played recently in uh, New York as part of the uh, New York Asian Film Festival slash uh, Japan Cuts. I think it was a sort of a cross uh, screening of those two festivals. And, uh, yeah, one of our writers who lives out in New York was able to get a review of that up, um, which will... I'm sure we'll talk about in a later episode. Indeed, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking uh, when we reach the tail end of this series, I think it's wise to uh, touch up upon like what's the latest, uh, because Sabu is obviously still an active filmmaker. Uh, but yes. we'll talk, we'll talk about his recent shenanigans, so to say, and talk about his uh, early history in a little bit. But we are just going to give you listeners a rundown of the content that's coming up and all of the. Uh, these will be uh, noted in the show post, like uh, where the bios, where the reviews happen with uh, running times uh, next to them. So you can fast forward if you want to get to a review, review first and use the um, and use the show post as your uh, uh, reference. But uh, first up in the episode is uh, Dangan Runner, and we will talk uh, before it uh, the um, uh, Sabu biography and uh, man himself. You know, a little bit of back and forth, back and forth discussion before reviewing his debut movie. Uh, there'll be a little break after that, and uh, in the postman blues section, there'll be uh, a short bio for actor Shinichi uh, Sotsumi, and we conclude the episode with our review and discussion of postman blues. Uh, so let's get into it. Dangan Runner, aka Nonstop, and uh, thankfully that's an AKA Nonstop uh, because if this was the main title, nonstop. Then nowadays, it's a bitch to uh, kind of look up Sabu's <laughs> yeah. first movie because there, there is a fairly recent Liam Neeson movie called Nonstop. That, that's uh, his Die Hard on a Plane uh, kind of a thing. So, or, or something. I don't know. I haven't seen Nonstop, but uh, it was like, uh, okay, l- let's find news copies of it. Oh shit! That's why there's like 50 pages of results. <laughs> so like Dangan Runner. So and I had a had a uh, had a look at the Japanese titles of both these movies, and it, they seem literate. Uh, like you could almost see, li- almost literally see the words Dangan Runner and Postman Blues in the uh, uh, Japanese titles. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I think that could be probably attributed to the fact that uh, I think um, Sabu was probably immediately. I don't want to say it's maybe this is more of a business term, but he's more like packaged for an international audience. So I think mm-hmm. they tried to play it safe as far as, you know, using, uh, you know, the alphabet when, um, when, uh, putting titles on his posters, you know, it's kind of interesting too, though. I noticed that, um, the poster for Dangan Runner, actually Dangan in a lot of the, um, posters, they have that in, uh, as almost like an acronym, you know, so D-A-N-G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that too. And I was kind of curious as to why they chose that. Um, yeah, because it's not the same on all posters. The one I looked up and posted on on Instagram was uh, just uh, the word as uh, just uh, no, uh, not in acronym form uh, or any spaces in between. So, but uh, there you go. But uh, we'll refer to it mainly as Dangan Runner and plot from Derek Ellis' review in, in Variety from the time, and uh, he uh, it's kind of a review at the same time within the plot. A wry comedic to- tone immediately is set with the introduction of Yasuda, played by. 
Tom Morrowa Taguchi, an inept youth who's a dweeb with the opposite sex and desperately wants to become famous. I do not remember if he desperately wanted to become famous or anything. He wanted to get back at the world. That was his thing. But anyway, he decides to rob a bank and he realizes at the last moment of the careful planning that he has forgotten his mask, so he tries to buy one in a store. Bungling even that simple task, he starts to run through the Tokyo streets pursued by shopkeeper Aizawa, played by Diamondo Yukai, who is also one of the two composers on the film. Uh, that character is a failed rock musician, and he shot him in the arm in the store. That's why he's being chased. Uh, en route, uh, Aizawa accidentally prevents a knife-wielding Yakuza, played by, uh, called Takeda, played by Shinichi Tsutsumi, from achieving a flashy suicide after failing to protect his boss. Majorly pissed, Takeda starts running after Aizawa. So, there we go. You've got the three runners uh, set up. But they're starting with Essential. Who is Sabu? And... Uh, First of all, if you just type him in on Wikipedia, you get um, multiple results because there's a lot of them out there. So let, let's just be very silly and list the Sabus out there. So in order, uh, or, or in no particular order rather, uh, one of the Sabu, one of the ring names of professional wrestler Coco Samoa. Uh, Sabu, a Japanese film director and actor. That's ours. That's ours. That's ours. Uh, Sabu, another wrestler. <laughs> it's the ring name of the professional wrestler Terry Brunk. That's like the most foreign world to me, as I don't know if these are current wrestlers or like ancient <laughs> wrestlers. I don't know. So, yeah, that's out, that's out of my territory yeah, too. So. It's out of my interest too. So, uh, Sabu Dastagir, an Indian actor, often credited only as Sabu. Uh, furthermore, Sabu, son of the pharaoh uh, Anajib, the fifth ruler of ancient Egypt first dynasty. So you got a historical Sabu. Sabu Martinez, uh, con, uh, Congero. What's a Congero? I don't know what that is. Congero is a person who plays Conga. Okay, there you go. Uh, so he's a person who plays Conga and he, uh, and, and a percussionist, uh, therefore. Uh, Paul Sabu, son of, son of actor Sabu Dastagir, Dastagir and leader of a band called Sabu. Uh, Sabu Cyril, an Indian art director. I suppose that's a very common name or a fairly common name in India. Uh, Sabu is also the nickname for the Pittsburgh Penguins goaltender ten, goal Dennis Sabarin. And finally, Sabu is also the, uh, the pseudonym of hacker Hector Xavier Monsegur. So. so, Ken, I have to say out of that entire list, uh, who's your favorite Sabu? I lean, I lean towards the oldest one in the bunch. Like the pharaoh sounds like a... Pretty yeah. neat guy, based on nothing. <laughs> like, he's, he's the fifth ruler, dude. I would have suspected you would take the goaltender, because I know you're a hockey fan. Yeah, I'm not a Penguins fan, though, so it's oh, like, okay. uh, yeah, screw them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a, I don't hate the Penguins. I mean, I'm, I'm a Bruins fan, so therefore the rivalry is like the Canadians and the Flyers. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm not that uh, much of a rabid hockey fan, even when my team lost to the Canadians. So it's like, yeah, that... They were better. Next day, you know. So, uh, who's your favorite Sabu out of the bunch? Well, I guess, you know, since we're doing a film podcast, I should say the director. But I do have to say that, um, you know, at least a close second would be uh, the, the Conguero uh, Sabu Martinez. I actually have a few of his albums. Uh, and if you're really into the conga and percussion in general, um, his albums are really good. Um there's one album of his that I have that's, that I really recommend is uh is called Palo Congo. Yeah, I think it's on Blue Note Records if I remember correctly. So uh yeah, that's I would say you know 
maybe you know maybe a distant second but uh yeah definitely the director i would say out of all those are at, at least that's the sabu i'm most familiar with now mm-hmm. how familiar are you with the takashi Mika film called sabu that does not star sabu um i've seen it it's not one of uh, Mike's uh better films um i if i remember correctly i can't remember if it was a tv movie more feels a direct to uh, video adventure of his, but uh, it was sort of uh, mediocre, if I remember correctly. It's been years since I've seen it, but I just remember not having it stand out uh, among the rest of his filmography. And uh, me saying that it does not star Sabu, uh, that might sound very silly, like you're talking about a director, not an actor. Well, let's do the history then, because uh, there's uh, there's uh, some surprises in there. Uh, born in 1964, he uh, studied fashion initially before instead deciding to follow instinct and uh, go the musician route. and uh, But uh, that apparently didn't work out or didn't generate a career. So uh, for some reason, he uh, was caught up in the acting world, if you will. And uh, he was cast as early as in the uh, 1986 movie uh, Soto Banzuki, which apparently that's its only title and there's no, so to say, export title, uh, but uh, just Soto Banzuki. Quick note about this film, by the way. Uh, this is a notable film uh, because uh, it was directed by uh, Yoshimitsu Morita, who also directed the critically acclaimed uh, film uh, The Family Game a few years uh, prior to uh, Soro Banzuku. And um, so you could, uh, right there, you could see that Sabu was already working with uh, quality talent as far as uh, directing goes. I- I'm not too sure, however, if um, Morita influenced Sabu in any way, but. At the very least, you know, he did work with someone who uh, who was critically acclaimed. Um, another thing to mention is that Sabu actually got his nickname because his real name we mentioned earlier is uh, Hiroyuki Tanaka. Uh, he got his nickname from this role um, in this movie because his character's name is Sabu. And apparently what happened was... Um, his fellow actors and cast members on the film uh, Soro Banzuku uh, just started calling him Sabu. Um, you know, I guess just like uh, you know, like, like at work, we all play around and call each other nicknames. You know, based on you know funny things that happen or things that we do. Um, you know, I guess you could say you know that his this is where the the Sabu was born, at least in name. <laughs> Well, well, thankfully, it doesn't mean, like, uh, a piss day, you know, anything like that. Like, they started calling me really bad names, and he didn't realize it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit face. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm Sabu now. I, oh, you are. You are. You definitely are. Uh, but um, he continued acting in a further roles, including a starring role in Akira director Katsuhiro Otomo's live-action movie World Apartment Horror in 1991. And he actually won an award for that movie, uh, Young Sabu, uh, the, the Young Actor of the Year Award at the Yokohama Film Festival for this performance. And the mainstream audiences might have seen it in Takashi Miki's Ichi the Killer, where he uh, plays a former cop working for the Yakuza to, uh, in order to support his son. And, uh, you know, that begs the question. I, I wasn't aware of the fact that he was an actor and I've not seen Ichi the Killer and things like that. Do, do you rate him at all as an actor, if you remember his performances at all, John? I would say that his acting career never really reached its full potential. Um, I mean, that might be obvious by, you know, um, looking at the films that he's been in. And I would say it didn't reach his full potential just because I think he he was viewed before as a director more of like a solid character actor. Mm. 
I don't think he ever had a uh, starring role in any of his films. I, I might be wrong because I haven't seen all of them. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh, World Department Horror was uh, referred to as um, more of a starring role. Yeah, yeah. Now, now that I think of it, yeah. He, but still, that's. I mean, it is a cult favorite. Uh, that film is, but um, I would still not consider that, like, let's say, you know, a big acting role in a major film mm-hmm. that's, you know, everyone knows about you know, that kind of thing. So I think, you know, at the point that he ceased being an actor and moved on to being a director, you know, he could probably be considered a promising actor, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Although, you know, the roles did. I think uh, by this time you could see that the roles did start getting confined to being more like a you know, police officer, Yakuza, tough guy. You know, he has a very distinctive face. You know, if you uh, Google him and Jim, you know, you'll see. Absolutely. And uh, so before the Sabu, the industry uh, knows about now, as John said, he was uh, his credits uh, was as, uh, because that's presumably his name, Hiro- Hiroyuki Tanaka. Uh, but uh, the Sabu, as we know, debuted as director through Dangan Runner in 1996, and uh, I, I know his face kind of because I've you know I've googled him a little bit during the research and what have you, and I still missed his supporting appearance in Dangan Runner. Do you remember where he was and who he played in the movie? Uh, yeah, he was actually one of the yakuza. Oh really? He, Good. I don't okay. even know if he has a line in the film or not. I can't remember. If he does, it's just like one, you know, grunt or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I did. I did happen to notice him. And this movie, Dangan Runner, established a trademark mix of quirky humor, a little bit of action, even drama. And, and to quote the Wikipedia bio, uh, which uh, kind of makes sense, and I can agree with it. His movies are propelled by characters who hurtle headlong through squirming narratives steered more by the forces of incidents and coincidence than the actions of the protagonists themselves. And it's certainly true for these two movies. Other articles summing up the Sabu style, uh, or what is typically like evidence of a Sabu film, uh, quote, melancholy mood, absurd humor, fast and uh, structured narrative, and anti-heroes as main uh, characters, which is uh, true in, in the case of uh, some characters in, in these movies, not uh, everybody. But directing credits, whether TV and short movie work, yeah, are about 15 in total, and they include uh, movies like uh, A10-12K from 2002 about a robot going berserk in a shopping mall, which sounds awesome and might be terrible as well. Uh, have you seen that particular movie? Uh, that was actually a uh, commercial. Um, was it really? It's, uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it was made as a promotional video, but uh, I guess you could consider it a short film. Um, I did see it. Yeah, it was actually really good. Right on, right on. Uh, yeah, m- m- some scenarios are not destined to be B features. You know, it makes sense in short, uh, short format, and the short format can be quite uh, beautiful, actually, uh, in its uh, efficiency and to the point. Other movies, and this is uh, fairly current, it, it's still listed as being in pre-production. Uh, he, uh, he has an Office Kitano production coming up that's uh, referred to as Tenno Chasuke. Uh, which is based on Sabu's own novel, reportedly. So he's written a written uh, a thing or two. And also his latest movie that's been released uh, in terms of his director work is 2013's Miss Zombie, which is indeed a zombie movie, reportedly. And uh, I, I didn't look up if it had tons of reviews, but again, the vcinemashow.com's review uh, by uh, Colleen Wanglund uh, said that Miss Zombie is an excellent film that takes the Western idea of a zombie and turns it on its head. And you know, by God, we need some fresh ideas in the zombie genre, and yes. hopefully Sabu can provide that, because now it's just getting silly, even if it's like, okay, that, that, yeah, they make a comedy instead, but something like Cockneys versus Zombies still sounds awful. 
you know, and I, I love the zombie genre. I don't love it that much. So, uh, so hopefully Miss Zombie can provide something, uh, something more decent and, uh, creative and sincere and what have you. Uh, yeah, it's always a little spot for one of the zombie video games. I think you linked me to it. It's like a short movie, but yeah, still one minute kind of commercial short movie. Uh, that wasn't very good actually. It looked like, okay, we got Sabu and he shot something during his lunch break. Great. We'll take it. Because it was this uh, shot on video, just shaky cam, little zombie infestation piece, and that was it. Other notable movies throughout the directing uh, career. Uh, Sabu actually used the same lead in his first five movies, and it's uh, true for these two movies. Uh, uh, Shinichi Tsutsumi, uh, so he was one of the three leads uh, in uh, Dangan Runner. He's the lead in Postman Blues. Which, uh, as we will talk about, it's the story of a postman who becomes innocently involved with drug dealers and uh, contract killers. Uh, he also starred in uh, Sabu's Monday and Drive. But uh, after that, Sabu changed his trademark kind of kinetic style to a more quiet one through 2002's The Blessing Bell, which I've seen and don't remember anything from. So, uh, But, but I, I liked all the movies I was sent. But that 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 uh, that one has just escaped my memory. Even Postman Blues was uh, almost ninety five percent new to me. I remember the uh, the finger, but that was uh, pretty much it. Mm. Uh, but the uh, Blessing Bell earned Sabu the Netpack Award at the Berlin Film Festival in two thousand and three. So it was a uh, critically acclaimed and awarded movie. Lately, I mean, in the new millennium, Sabu has also focused on doing movies featuring recurring roles. With the band, the, the Japanese pop boy band V6, they've been in at least uh, one or two of his movies, uh, including uh, the movie Hard Luck Hero from 2003. And it's an intersecting characters kind of story, all of whom are fleeing an illegal Thai boxing match. It doesn't sound exciting. It might be exciting. So I guess my spontaneous question, have you seen that movie? Do you have any spontaneous opinion of the band themselves, V6? It's like uh, maybe the Japanese version of like Backstreet Boys or something. Right. So I, I don't have very much of a favorable opinion of them. Although um, the individual members themselves, some of them have done some really uh, interesting stuff uh, on the side uh, as far as, you know, acting and creative work has, has done. So, you know, that much I can respect out of them. Um, I have not seen Hard Luck Hero, I think. But um, I'd have to double check. And is it? I assume that's going to be one that we're going to cover late in a later episode, though. Maybe, maybe not, though, because I've not decided the lineup yet. So I'll, I'll okay. get to. So this, so uh, we'll see. Uh, if if I find ten reviews that say like this is the worst stinker of 2003, uh, it's not a stinker. It's the worst stinker. Uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe not. But uh, we'll okay, see. chaos reigns on Japan on fire. In other words. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, no structure at all. Don't edit it at all, and keep all the uh, all the silent pass- passages and the dog barking in the show, because yeah, that's metal. That goes without saying. Yes. All right. Going back a little to Dangan Runner or Nonstop, as we said, it made a splash critically and internationally, uh, and it could be argued to be a slight forerunner or served as an inspiration, not a remake, oh, not a refresh. Is that a was that pun intended, Kenneth? Come on. Forerunner. I wish I could be that much of a man and say, of course it was, but I'm not. <laughs> I just wrote it. <laughs> so forerunner to Tom Tickler's 1998 hit Run Lola Run. That's just a running idea because Dangan Runner doesn't present us with two different scenarios like Tom's uh, Tickler's film did. You know, it was at least uh, two, like, what if the story plays out that way? What if we... What if the characters did this instead? How would that affect the story? I think that was the premise of uh, Run Lola Run, like two 
uh, versions of uh, of events and what have you. You know, a, t- a turn left, turn right kind of scenario. Uh, but however, if you go to Hong Kong cinema, why Kafa's uh, triad satire, Too Many Ways to Be Number One, definitely took its cues from Run Lola Run. But not the running cue, but rather, the, again, the different scenarios uh, that uh, Lao Ching Wan and the various triads uh, uh, go through, you know, in one in one scenario they die, but they, they just, uh, you know, when the movie reboots again, it's uh, they go to Taiwan in one scenario and they stay at home in another. But it's such a wildly funny, stylistically bonkers movie that uh, Johnny Toe produced, and uh, it's not a desperate copycat. It's a uh, it's a reason why Too Many Ways to Be Number One is kind of a cult uh, cult classic in that uh, late nineties. Early Milky Way image uh, style of movies that uh, Johnny Toe and Waikafi uh, did uh, as the, in, in that uh, initial starting phase of forming the company Milky Way Image. Uh, so I actually like that period a lot more, uh, their early stuff, because it's them finding their footing and it's kind of great too, because uh, there are some gems in there. Yeah, I've yet to, I've yet to see that one, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it since you recommended it. Uh, oh, you know, all I can say is upside down uh, triad fights. Uh, literally, it sounds dumb, but the camera Sold. turns. Yep, I, I love it because it, it's one of those like everybody sits around the table, and they, you know, tempers flare, and the machetes come comes out of the chop or the choppers, the knives, and the camera decides to just be upside down for the hell of it, and it's kind of wonderful. I personally, when I look at these Sabu movies, anyway, I can recognize things I see in Johnny Toe's movies in terms of uh, this dry, low-key, deadpan style and uh, different kind of absurd moments and uh, content. But I'm not saying that they necessarily are connected that Johnny Toe saw Sabu or Sabu saw Johnny Toe because I think it can be argued that they've probably seen a fair few filmmakers and movies that are in this type of style, whether Eastern or Western, but I, I can't make that connection as such. I mean, can, in your estimation, estimation, would you say there's a filmmaker or a style of the past that Sabu is um, emulating for at least like these two movies? I mean, you mentioned Keystone Cops, and I, I don't actually know that reference. Is that a, a movie or a style? Well, the Keystone Cops are basically like, um, I guess you could say, I, I don't know if you could say it's a, a trope, so to speak, or if it was a, actually a group. But uh, in silent film, you know, back in the, uh, you know, uh, let's say the early 1900s, you know, you know, the only way that you could convey things like comedy would be through action and, you know, obvious, you know, facial emotions and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the Keystone Cops were, I guess, uh, again, I, I guess we could say it's a group of people and police officers, you know, and they are running after criminals, but... Um, you know, in the Keystone Cop scenarios, you know, of course, they're running very obviously in a very obvious, you know, comedic manner. That's, you know, arms are flailing around and, you know, they're slipping on banana peels and things like that um, as a means of displaying humor in a way that, you, you know, you can't use dialogue. Uh, you know, the Keystone Cops were sort of this kind of stand in as far as uh as comedy went uh, for silent film uh, uh, back in the day. Mm-hmm. But so I kind of felt that Sabu was at least, I, I don't know if he was referencing the Keystone Cops or at, at the very least he was using that sort of style, which, you know, obviously the two films are fairly low budget. Mm-hmm. 
you know, even though they were uh, Nikatsu films, I'm sure that they were for the most part, uh, you know, financed by, you know, a, a single producer. So the fact that these films are low budget, I think that shows that uh, Sabu had to rely a little bit more on, for example, physical action, physical humor, rather than, you know, relying on more expensive things like you know, special effects, car chases, etc. You know, in, for example, Postman Blues, you know, the chase is basically with bicycles, you know, and I mean, you can imagine how expensive it would be to have uh, to film a car chase in Tokyo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- that's part of the reason why you rarely see Japanese action films set in Tokyo. Um, it, it looks very cramped. Of, or is, was it just this movie that gives off that uh, vibe, uh, Postman Blues? No, no, Tokyo is a pretty cramped city. Um, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of cars and, you know, can you imagine all the licenses or, you know, um, all the permits, excuse me, that you'd need in order to, you know, film a car chase in Tokyo? I think it's basically almost impossible unless you have like millions of dollars somehow. But, you know, I'm not really too sure. I don't, of course, I don't work on that end of the business or anything. It's never struck you spontaneously, um, uh, a filmmaker that, uh, Japanese or not, that Sabu is, um, you know, paying homage to emulating for his art. Uh. For certain, the two films have references to um, film genres that are popular in Japan. You know, things like Yakuza films, uh, samurai films, you know, Japanese romances, the so-called drama, you know, etc. I did not pick up on anyone in particular, to tell you the truth. Um, I think it's kind of interesting, however, that uh, Sabu um, did become a director uh, during... I guess you could call the, that, uh, late 90s wave of, uh, Japanese directors who became well known, for example, such as, you know, Miike, um, and, you know, other directors of that sort, uh, Shinji Aoyama, um, Kurosawa, you know, these directors who, uh, you know, came up around the same time. And in some ways he has some, he shares some similarities to some of those directors, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, since he's kind of like a, at this time that we're talking about a, a sort of a action comedy director, I mean, you could, you could, I guess, see some, uh, beat Takeshi influence in there. I don't know if it's direct or not. Um, yeah, I couldn't even make that comparison when talking of Johnny Toe because I, I think when right. I first re- started to experience like, uh, the Johnny Toe who did the mission and, uh, which is really, like the uh, crescendo or the climax of that style that I like in the late 90s. Uh, I I definitely remembered uh, out of the few Beat Takeshi movies I, I saw prior, I definitely drew like the line to I got the same cool feeling from watching Sonatine, this deadpan, silly style, and right. some crazy violence to boot. Uh, so it's, um, I, I like the style, whether it comes from one person specifically, or if it's just something out there that's uh, a thing to do, uh, like a genre, genre content to do, you know, no matter, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's not uh, ripping off anyone who, who deserves more credit than these guys. Uh, so. Right. Right. Yeah, I think it's it's always hard to say whether contemporaries influence influence each other, you know, in such a direct manner. Yeah. Or whether it's just a matter of the trends and themes of film are just being funneled all together, you know, from all different sources and everyone's kind of feeding off of that off of, you know, 
all those different sources that uh, that are being funneled. So, you know, it's like, this is a little off topic, but one thing that kind of interests me um, is filmmakers who film for a particular kind of audience. So, for example, like an overseas audience, you know, and it always kind of strikes me of whether, you know, what they're creating is really what they want to create or whether it's just something that they know will gain them some attention yeah. and, of course, uh, you know, some money and and hopefully lead to, you know, a career in Hollywood or wherever else, um, wherever else they're shooting for. So that's one thing that's kind of interests me. And I think that, um, it's, Sabu is kind of one of those, one of these examples where I think he's, he, like I said, he was sort of presented to a foreign audience as being like, oh, this is a, one of these directors as part of this generation, this new thing that's coming out, this, you know, hyper action comedy, gore or you know everything that became popular with japanese film back in the 90s i guess you you could say you know because we're doing this podcast and because you know he's he's a director that uh not really talked about too much and you know not as much as his con- contemporaries like you know miike Takeshi, etc that you know was that a successful venture you know or you know or maybe is that yet to be seen because you know he's working with you know office kitano as you said and seems like his uh career is on the upward trajectory and you know we might not have yet seen the best of his uh, him as a director just yet i mean that 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 actually leads into uh like the question you touched upon it a little but does he have any like traction and following in Japan or is it like this situation with Korean director Kim Kidak or at least was for a while that his movies essentially didn't play in Korea and he was more of an international audience favorite or right. what's your take on that right I'm uh, actually I'm glad you bring up Kim Kidak because I was trying to think of a director earlier that you know as I mentioned you know directors who more direct for uh international rather than a home audience I think Kim Kidak is a great example of that um, from what I, uh, you know, I, um, when I was doing research for this podcast, you know, of course, I had to check out the, the, the Japanese interwebs, uh, so to speak. And it's kind of funny because I, I searched for Sabu and, of course, wrestler, the, wrestler, the wrestler. Yeah, right. Wrestler. Yeah. A lot of stuff on wrestlers. And when I finally got it narrowed down to, you know, Sabu, the Japanese director, you know, who is working with Office Kitano right now, you know. One of the first threads that I found on a uh, message board was someone asking, why isn't Sabu more well known? Mm-hmm. His films are so great. And there's this long conversation with these people who, you know, again, this is the Internet, who just by chance happen to, you know, be on the same board or be searching for Sabu. And they all kind of get together in this thread and say, you know, yeah, this movie's great. You know, money is great. I love this, you know, and they're just having this long discussion, you know, it's it's like maybe about six or seven people, long discussion about, you know, Sabu and his films and, you know, what are films from other directors that you think, you know, you can recommend from him. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was this kind of this great sort of, I guess, I don't know what you call like a sy- internet synergy, so yeah. to speak, <laughs> of these people who did kind of get together and just talk about him for, you know, this point in time. But that kind of really told me that, you know, maybe in his home country, he's not really that well known. Um, I don't know if my, my wife, who's Japanese, is a great indicator of, you know, what's known and what's not known in the Japanese film world, because she's a film fan as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I happened to tell her, like, oh, I'm doing a podcast on Sabu. And she said, oh, oh. yeah, the director, right? Well, did have you seen any of his films? She said, nope. 
I've only <laughs> heard of him. So maybe that's the kind of status he has. You know, it's like one of those guys heard of, but you don't necessarily know what he's done. I mean, I mean, working for uh, do moves for Nikatsu is that necessarily like under the radar? Or does Nikatsu do big, big profile movies as well? I mean, we're still talking about the late nineties, yeah, but still, Nikatsu is not a, a super underground name or anything. I know. Right. That. I think if you worked for the Nikatsu of old, then you would have that would definitely be part of your name and fame. The Nikatsu of new is kind of a different beast altogether, and it, it is a known, you know, quantity in the film world as well as just the commercial world in general. But I would not necessarily say that, like, if someone were to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm a director, you know, blah, 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 and maybe, I, let's say I don't know this person, and, and if they said, oh, I work for Nikatsu, uh, you know, I might say, like, oh, really? You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that I, I should know you just because you work for Nikatsu, but, you know, it definitely, I guess, helps to have on your resume um, that you work for a studio that is you know, known in the film world. Um, so I, I would say that if Sabu has any degree of popularity or and I'm sure he does, he must have a, some sort of cult following in Japan. I mean, I mean, uh, he's gotten uh, movies financed, and uh, it's not like these movies were. It's only uh, his only two movies, and Miss Zombie is the first one since then. I mean, he's been active, uh, fairly active anyway. So, so to sum up, his uh, we talked of Sabu's profile, and uh, if he has kind of attraction and, and following, w- w- would it be fair to say if we simplify it that he is an underrated, undiscussed director um, overall, in your estimation? Yeah, I think so. But like I said, it might be because the best has yet to come from him. Um, at least, you know, I'd like to think so. Um, I, I think, you know, as I mentioned, his career trajectory as a director is definitely going up. Um, is Miss, uh, is Miss Zombie, um, uh, high profile? If we simplify the question as well, or is it a small movie, you think? I think it's still considered a small movie. Um, and I think, you know, it will play, of course, the festival circuit and, you know, the funny thing, you know, that now that we're mentioning it, and I, I know that this is probably on the mind of a lot of people listening to this podcast, but the funny thing is um, a U.S. distributor has, has not picked up any of his films for DVD, and I would have suspected, especially some of these earlier films, to have gotten picked up, um, especially back in the day, you know, you know, back back in the, those 90s when, you know, all these distributors were starting to pop up and, you know, they're putting yeah, out all these Yeah, because Japanese films. cinema has always been very, very popular. I mean, that, that, that's the disadvantage of being a Hong Kong cinema fan is that I, I, I've always been jealous of even seemingly smaller Japanese movies always found some kind of distribution in the right. West uh, because most of the movies on Japanese DVD don't receive English subtitles. I mean, uh, it, it's kind of a luxury. So, I mean, I, I'm pulling an example right out of the blue that might be the biggest movie of that year. But like movies like Kamikaze Taxi got a US distribution uh, right. back in the day, and uh, I saw that movie, and it just it seemed like a very small movie, and it still found a home somewhere, which uh, right. made me happy. And it seemed Japanese cinema has always been blessed uh, that way. It's not only Criterion that I, that is flying the flag of uh, in terms of presenting Japanese cinema. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned Kamikaze Taxi just because uh, that's one of the films I was thinking of that's kind of spiritually similar. I mean, it's not exactly the same kind of film, but, you know, when I watched, when I was watching the two films for this podcast, and I was thinking, that guy ran a Kamikaze Taxi, you know, why didn't, why didn't they get distributed along with, you know, with 
that film. Another film that I thought of, I, I don't know if you've seen before, is uh, Adrenaline Drive. If I remember correctly, it was uh, directed by uh, Yaguchi Shinobu. But um, that, that was a film that got uh, both, um, uh, I believe it got some amount of theatrical distribution and, and a DVD release. That was back in probably the mid-90s or late-90s or something like that. But you know, spiritually, again, somewhat similar to what Sabu was doing with his earlier films. Kinetic action, comedy type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I usually respond well to, well to that. Um, finally, on Danganronda, he toured the festival circuit, uh, including in the panorama section of the Berlin International Film Festival and picked up the prize for best film by up-and-coming director at the film festival in Yokohama, back home. So uh, he also recognized uh, that way, Sabu. So that leads us into Danganronda and our review. So in short first, John, before we uh, go in-depth on this Super short movie, actually. Uh, give me a bite-sized opinion of uh, Dangan Runner. What did you think of it? Then was this a first uh, watch or a rewatch for you? Do you remember that? Uh, this is my first watch. Um, I thought it was quite good. Um, it does have its little um, low-budget trappings. You know, what better way to uh, you know showcase your talent as a low-budget uh, director than to not have to have any kind of vehicles or anything like that it's just three guys running essentially um uh, i thought the uh locations well for me you know any, any film that's uh that's filmed in tokyo back in back in the 90s always gives me a sense of uh, nostalgia so you know i was uh very much uh location spotting you know hey i know that place i know that place you know so that you know that kind of really hey, hey a guy got shot over there i saw a guy <laughs> yeah, get shoot, yeah. shot over there <laughs> yeah so it did spark nostalgia, yeah, all that, all that shooting, as you mentioned, uh, Kenneth. When it gets to the third act, I don't know if you call it an act just because, you know, it's, it's such a short film called a mini act, I guess. When it reaches that third, uh, section of the film, though, it starts to fall apart a little bit. It, it kind of felt like, uh, Sabu wasn't exactly sure how he wanted to end it, and it gets a little muddled. And for my short opinion, 81 minutes of very confident, oddball, dry, in in a good way, storytelling, with a little drama thrown in, somewhat absurd circumstances. And that means it's a very good start, and a good starting point for newcomers to the Sabu filmography, if I'm being honest. I think, yeah, why not start with this one? And it'll be over before before you know it, because 81 minutes is effing rare today. (laughs) It's like I've only seen an 81-minute movie that was actually edited down from its original length like lately. You know, it's such a rare thing to have. Nope, this is it. This is how long it is. And uh, I I am not only allergic to uh, when... uh, the color red is used in movies, um, uh, my art radar goes off, but I'm also allergic to when you have shaky cam and step printing, because that reminds me of Wong Kawai. Uh, and I don't like Wong Kawai very much. <laughs> so You don't say it, Kenneth. We'll talk more more of that in the Postman Blues section. You know, I, 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 I'm, light, I'm lighting the fuse now, and then, 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 it'll, then it'll blow up. And, you know... If you don't know anything about this movie, you you just start to familiarize familiarize yourself with it with, with the surroundings it provides you with, and it's like okay, there's a little bit of shaky cam here, and there's some step printing, slow motion, and freeze frames. Okay, what's going on here? I okay, well it's fine now. I mean it doesn't seem to break out in that that arty mood, and 
what it what it instead does, by the way, my, my final point is that it doesn't open frantically; it opens very quietly. Right. I I thought those techniques were used pretty economically. You know, like you said, they don't they don't bring so much attention to themselves anyway. You know? Yeah, and it's all to set up this uh, countdown. You know, uh, this planning is waiting to take effect as uh, our our main character. And I just want to look back at that character's name that was Yasuda. Uh, counts down like uh, when he's going to go into the bank and uh, you know perform his well-planned heist, you know, and uh, because we assume it is because he seems to be um, on t- on top of things and uh, you know even a disgruntled character, uh, a, you know, bullied character that he is, uh, might be off his rocker but still methodical and a good planner. You you don't know that, but the the funny thing is, and the beautiful comedy of it all is that. And maybe human human comedy of it all is that it's not a very good planner, and it just that robbery never takes place. That's not the premise of the movie. He never even gets to the bank to try and try and execute his plan. So I, I, I thought that was uh, that made me in a good mood because those kind of low key established like traits of a character can make me laugh out loud even because it's so pathetic. And uh, I, I I like that he has. This actor to- Tomorrow Taguchi at his disposal. Uh, that face is uh, wonderful for for this particular role, anyway. And of course, Tomorrow Taguchi is famous for his role in uh, the original Tetsuo. So, oh, know. is that a guy? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I, I like that movie, but that was a frantic movie that you. It's not easy to pick up on all images in Tetsu uh, because that's just uh, a 60 I, I think that was like an hour long like a 60 minute like uh, yeah it was also so. fairly short yeah 67 yeah. minutes or something like that yeah. is the humor present if we just ask a very basic uh, question uh, is the humor, humor present in general something you respond to that really tickles you this dry deadpan uh, kind of low key uh, style oh yeah yes I actually very much love that style of humor where it doesn't bring attention to itself it's just very quick sometimes as you said very dry um, it's sometimes uh, I mean you could definitely tell that Sabu is a, is a film fan you know we talked about you know whether he draws influences from certain directors and you know I mentioned that uh, you know certainly he's, a, he's very much aware of film genre because there are several vignettes in the film that reference um, the various different genres, especially film, Japanese film genres. Um, you know, first off, I thought, for example, the uh, Yasuda character, you know, um, very much, uh, you know, when he is, he's sort of, when he's planning his heist or his bank robbery, I guess I should say heist is kind of like a lot of people, right? When he's planning his bank robbery, he continuously looks at himself in the mirror and i thought that was kind of echoing you know taxi driver you yeah know? sure sure um in fact i was thinking you know is this going to be like a taxi driver type of movie you know is he going to shoot up everyone or something you know yes but you know of course it doesn't turn I mean, out as that. soon as he reaches the store and can't find an actual because he forgot his mask you know at home right, to disguise yeah. himself so he looks in the general store like what are the masks here and he finds this nasal mask that's only on his nose and uh, uh it's a and child's mask too right it is, uh, maybe it is maybe it is uh, so it's, yeah, it's really small right yeah, and, really... and and sabu does the wonderful thing of cutting to a potential scenario of him like everybody freeze and he's got the just that stupid nasal mask on him and it doesn't look good at all so he never buys it of course and uh and you know even with a gun out this character is looking down on and 
uh, you know, the environment senses his weaknesses and his sensitivity, and that that's like a serious bullying theme as I'm explaining it. But the movie isn't uh, examining this uh, this theme of uh, like uh, you know beating on the weak and bullying the weak and the weak coming back to uh, to uh, with violent tendencies, you know, because. Uh, uh, Yasuda isn't really capable of that, uh, as it turns out. And I think that's wise. I mean, yeah, in a darker movie, that could have been frightening that he's off his rocker and he's going to just randomly slaughter people. But here, it's because it's mostly comedy, it makes sense that it just falls apart that robbery and we never hear from it again. I mean, I can spoil that much. It's not like they run and run and run and then they rob the bank in the end. Nope. That's like a past plot element. Within ten minutes. Yeah, in reality, you know, it's Yasuda. As, as you're talking about him, he's he's a guy who's trying to, you know, he's trying to escape his what his life is right now, which you know, so he's a weakling, kind of a, a nerdy guy. He's he actually doesn't look like that bad of a guy, you know. I mean, they could have really played up the uh, the the nerd geek aspect to him, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, his his girlfriend has dumped him. You know, he's kind of on the down and out so to speak and you know his his i guess his thought is you know if you rob this bank you know he'll become famous or whatever but um it's, it's a very unplanned robbery it sounds it's like the idea an idea that he had 10 minutes before the movie started uh, right. which is great too it's uh, that he's uh it isn't a methodical plan it's uh, i'll do this that'll be fine uh right. irrational uh, uh irrational decisions which uh, which makes sense but I think, you know, with the later, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, the later uh, part of the story in which, you know, he's actually, you know, the part where the characters are actually running, you know, you kind of feel that he's sort of trying to run away from that life of his, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a nice piece of symbolism going on there that all of these three characters, this, this mammoth run uh, represents uh, a good development for all of them, like running away from... Things they weren't apt at and doing and running towards like confidence and uh, development and uh, right. maybe a be- you know better decision making uh, rational decision making as characters. Yeah, I, I almost saw it. And sorry, I know your art film leanings are probably going to you know, <laughs> are going to your alarm is going to go off in a second. But in a way, I kind of felt it was almost like uh, the running was like a metaphor, you know, to. The, the purifying yourself. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. I agree. I agree. It, it's a, it's kind of what I, I think I was trying to explain because uh, certainly, it's it's evident in, in the film that it it represents that uh, as well. But it never becomes this um, you know uh, oppressing dark drama where you have to struggle to interpret it. I mean, it's it's kind of a light and approachable. I think um, uh, mixed with that. Uh, Humor, which is uh, very visual. I mean, one of the early images that I, I like is that they are the only ones running while the rest of this world is doing its thing. You know, walkers and traffic, uh, right. they, they, they don't take notice of them. I mean, there, there's this wonderful overhead shot that, that demonstrates this very well, that they'll, they stand out, but no one really takes notice of them running through, not even when they run through these tight, cramped spaces, like they go through this arcade hall and probably a kitchen or two. Uh, they're just like, eh, well, it doesn't become this media sensation where the thing like, uh, what are these free runners about? You know, they, the people of Tokyo do their thing. And uh... I thought my my favorite comedic moment, and uh, you know, this goes back to what I was mentioning of um, Sabu being very aware of um, film genres in Japan. Is um, each character in the story um, 
you know, the three runners that we establish, you know, Yasuda, the Yakuza guy, as well as the, uh, the convenience store clerk, um, uh, who actually we haven't talked about yet, just yet, but, um, but them as well as uh, most of the other, at least, uh, you know, side characters have flashback moments, yeah. you know, in which they're, you know, again, their service, I guess you could say they're escaping, you know, their current lives and, you know, they're thinking about, you know, in their mind, you know, what their ideal vision of themselves could be. And there's one, uh, there's one vignette, one such vignette where there's a character who's a, kind of a Yakuza sub-boss. He's a, I don't think he's the full big boss, but he's a, he's imagining himself as this, what they called in the old days, the chivalrous Yakuza, you know, where, you know, he gets stabbed and he's like, ah, oh, and then his, um, his, uh, they would, in Japanese called the Aniki, but his, his Yakuza brother comes and tries to help him, and then he's like, oh, I'm dying, and then he says, like, but the stars are so beautiful, you know, <laughs> and it just brings back this moment of, um, in Japanese, uh, genre films, it's the, uh, what they call the, the Ninkyo Ega, Ega, which was, basically means the, the chivalrous Yakuza, um, movie, um, that were, for the most part, um, uh, Acted or starred uh, Ken Takakura, who's a very famous uh, Japanese actor, who appears in a poster in uh, Postman Blues. Actually, you might remember. Yeah, you might remember the one Yakuza guy idealizes Ken Takakura and puts a has a poster of him on his wall. Yeah, I've seen that still a bunch of times. I'm assuming it's from an iconic movie. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Ken Takakura was sort of the ideal Ninkyo Yakuza uh, the t- uh, movie actor so you know this is a reference to is just it's so funny and and actually i think that uh fans of uh tom popo could actually see um uh, a connection between there's one character i remember um who is a who's a police officer who has this really long prolonged death in the film um and that's also referencing you know the same genre of the uh ninkyo yakuza film the the long death, you know, the long dramatic death, you know, um, it's very much part of that genre. So I, I very much enjoyed that, that, uh, that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Without me knowing what it exactly was referencing, I picked up that this is over stylized and probably a little bit tongue in cheek. It's, uh, they don't play it for broad comedy, but it was, there was something there that said to me, like, it's either in the memory of the character that it's hugely exaggerated, but I, I thought that it probably had some movie history connection too. Uh, and now I know, now I know what to look for. Uh, the character of Aizawa, uh, Aizawa the, uh, the rocker, the convenience store rocker, you know, he's, uh, he's cool as shit in the store, you know, he's got long hair, he sings in a rock band, but that's all that front of, you know, everything going wrong beyond the surface, you know, he has a drug problem too, and uh, so it's that kind of classic template that... Uh, you know, the, the the world may adore you a little bit on the outside and you might look cool to the world, but, you know, internally there's, uh, there's stuff going on there. This run is certainly certainly needed as well. So, um, it's and, and they, they kind of, uh, I don't remember if they, if the Yakuza and Aizawa had any connections to each other or if it's all coincidental events. I think it is because he, he runs into him uh, yeah, there, there is connection uh, because the clerk is buying drugs from the Yakuza guy. That's right. That's right. So that's, I mean, there's an interconnection with all three of them. 
although they're not necessarily individually connected. And after a while, too, they they kind of they it doesn't seem like after a while that they are hunting each other that much anymore. And after a while, as it turns dark, they you know that run has transformed into something else. You know, right. uh, one being the fact that they're amazing runners, yeah. <laughs> really amazing runners. Can't you imagine know. that must be like about. 10 hours worth of you know of course fictional film time but still that's i can't even run an hour nowadays oh, my knees would be fucked off the 10 minutes you know i'm, I'm, I'm a walker not a runner <laughs> uh but but it's 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 the energy throughout is very confident i mean i, I like the entertaining twists and turns that as sabu presents our, our characters you know in this unpredictable way you don't know exactly where it's going and it makes us that light and quirky and even dares to be like dramatic and when i say that like sabu doesn't hold back a dramatic moment like yasuda imagining he's running with his ex-girlfriend and he's got violins on the soundtrack and mm -hmm. he, yeah he's playing it a little bit tongue-in-cheek but it's also and it's evident in postman blues definitely not afraid to state like i'm doing a dramatic moment and one minute ago you were laughing your ass off now it's drama and i, I like that confidence that uh, you know, coming from a fan of Hong Kong cinema, I, I've become a fan of uh, mood swinging, but it's not always uh, pretty. It's just kind of yeah, something you right. love at. Exactly. But, uh, but here it's uh, definitely more honed uh, without going totally pitch black, because the movie definitely is not uh, pitch black um, in in any sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that moment because, um, you know, itself is just a it, it's an interesting vignette uh, for one thing. But. I think it also shows, uh, you know, Sabu's, you know, deft, um, confidence as, you know, both a writer and director. Cause, you know, he wrote most of these, these earlier films that we're talking about right now in probably future episodes. So, you know, it, I think this shows that, you know, he is willing to take that chance, you know, as a writer and director and that, you know, he can do so in a very confident manner. Do you think it packs, um, I mean, not, not to jump immediately to the ending, but I have this next in my nose. Do you think it packs too much events and characters in an 81 minute movie? Is that why you think it falls apart or, or does it become unclear to you what, uh, what, what is going for at the end? I think at the end, because the thing is that, I mean, the film is, you know, it's obviously there, you have, two or three genres packed into 81 minutes. And I think that at first, you know, the combination is pretty deft. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you got the action, you got the comedy in there, you got a little bit grittiness in there, you know, which is good too. It's a nice blend. I think at the end though, I'm not too sure what it is. If the, if it feels rushed or if it just feels prolonged, uh, there's something that didn't, you know, jive with me, at least in my head in the end. There is quite a jarring cut towards the end where you find out, like, oh, that has happened to a character, like, uh, and that's a big spoiler thing, you know, when uh, when mm -hmm. Aizawa goes uh, outside of the final, uh, uh, of the room that the finale takes place, and you realize that something has happened to him, like, oh! Um, right. And right. I had to rewind, because uh, I don't know why I was kind of uh, dozing off, but I was like, hey, wait a minute, oh, there was nothing in between there, there was like a rapid jump cut in uh, in time, but uh, um, I, I didn't have any problems as, as such um, during the end also. I guess, you know, now, now that you mentioned that, you know, maybe I think my feeling is that Sabu maybe didn't know or didn't 
really figure out how he wanted to end the film. And, you know, there was these, I mean, as a writer, at least in these two films that we're covering, you know, he's really good at tying up loose ends and, you know, and referencing things, you know, um, from, you know, earlier on in the story. But at the end, it kind of feels like, you know, he's trying to rush to get things cleaned up and it's not exactly a really you know, a really clean job of doing so. The, at least that's what I thought. You know, maybe if I watch it again, you know, I, I'll see, you know, the more, the intricacy that uh, went into the ending. But that's just just my feeling overall. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see that. And uh, I've, um, it's a quick, it's not the final ending uh, that we won't spoil it. It doesn't lead up to that where you find, where you along the way kind of get hints at where it's going it's uh it's up it happens quite uh, quite quick you know movies quick and uh, the final resolution happens quite quick too but uh uh let's go back to some hilarity then uh <laughs> you know the it's it is a very like maybe keystone cops like uh, moment but you know during that long run they run past a uh, like a uh, soft drink stall or maybe a beer stall and they grab all grab drinks like they are marathon runners because obviously during marathons they place these uh, strategically placed uh, uh, drink stores you know for, for, for the runners to, uh, to to hydrate themselves and I thought that was so that that boom boom like moment because it happens mm-hmm. so quick like oh they ru- oh drinks marathon runs yeah. <laughs> actually you know what this might shock you or it might even shock some listeners out there but that drink was actually beer it was beer wasn't it like, yeah, yeah back back in the, the days I, I don't know if, i don't think they can do it anymore but they used to give out uh like uh beer companies used to have you know samples out you know for people to try cigarette companies too that was the wow. weirdest thing yeah one time i remember when i was in japan um this uh this lady approached me and she's like oh hi there you know she's you know dressed up in uniform i'm like oh hi you know i was thinking oh no i don't want to answer a questionnaire or anything she's like well i know you're a smoker you know i used to smoke back then so you know would you like to try our new cigarette you know i'm like eh, yeah sure why not you know and i was thinking wow this first time that ever happened to me even in japan you know you get a sample cigarette you know i can't imagine that ever happening in the U.S. for certain. So like a very high-spirited, uh, high like jolly girl as well. Uh, like, or was she very, very tired of a job? <laughs> yeah, it's what they call in Japanese a campaign girl. You know? Right. So, right. <laughs> you know, not not like super hyper, but you know, just you know, perky enough. Like, hey, we want to try out our cigarette. You know, uh, I, as you can tell, I'm not a campaign type of guy, so yeah, I can't replicate it. What was the deal? You think of that? Um fantasy softcore sequence that clearly must have bumped the rating in Japan because we get uh, pretty uh, pretty uh, amazing nudity. <laughs> was that some de- like running delirium? That they you know, I w- yeah, I think part of it was that. Part of it was, you know, just... I think it was, for one thing, to show off this sort of macho charge, you know, the, because at this point in the film, you know, they're they're running, but they're both... They're, all three of them are just basically kind of, you know, pooping out. They're slowing down, you know, but suddenly they have this vision... <laughs> You know, they run past this woman, and she becomes part of all three of their fantasies, you know, where they're, you know, having sex with her, you know. And, you know, it's like, of course, you know, the joke is they're intercutting, you know, they're panting from the running from the panting of the sexual fantasy. So it's yep. like, ah, 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 you know, like that, you know. You know I mean? so, <laughs> yeah, really. Um you know, would that bump the rating in Japan? Or are they more are they more sensitive to violence or nudity of a rating sport in Japan? Do you, do you even know that? 
Yeah, that would definitely bump the film into like, well, you know, but then again, I'm sure this film played at, at art theaters, so I'm sure that they weren't really concerned, but it would definitely bump them up to, you know, like adults only, um, I would think anyway, but I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, Japan is, it's kind of weird, you know, they're, I'm sure the censorship, um, the general censorship policies are kind of well known among film fans, you know, you can't show, you know, pubics, you know, you can show breasts pretty freely, you know, even like on Japanese television back in the day, no longer, uh, but, uh, you know, back like past eight or no past 9 PM, you know, you could see topless women on shows very often, you know, you know, the degree of nudity in this film, I'm not too sure, you know, I'll take that back and say, I don't think it would have bumped them into like adult category. And really I kind of thought, you know, of course the visual joke is there, but you know, Maybe he was referencing, you know, pink film to a degree too. Mm. Yeah, yeah it, it is quite stylized. I mean, the the sequence yeah. is uh, like Very well, well, lit. well lit and colorful and what have you. So it's not this grimy, grimy uh, porno scene they're thinking of or anything. They're right. thinking right. of the the greatest one of all time, I suppose. <laughs> right. like, like dudes do, you know. Like yeah, uh, sure. That's why it's called a fantasy. Um, and of course, I mean, it, it is low key and dry and quirky, but it's also quite broad in a wonderful way. And like, uh, the, the Yakuza guys who's, uh, driving in the car, sitting in the car, one of them has a, uh, uh perverse fascination with weaponry. <laughs> this guy loves Although, guns. Although, actually, you know what? The, those guys were police officers. Oh, they were police officers, pardon me, but they're still a perverse uh, uh, fascination with uh, weaponry, and he talks of how he loves how the cartridge flies, and he rattles off brands and styles of guns, and it's like, he, for him, that's sex, rather than sex. And two, three scenes later, he's still ranting on about guns, and the guys in the background are just, without saying anything, and I, that's why I love that type of humor, their looks just says it all, like, won't this guy shut the fuck up? And he even he even says like English lines, and I was I, I was waiting for the dirty hair line, but line, but we never got it. But he says in English like, "Get down, don't move, get down, motherfucker!" But never like make my day, which was what I was expecting. But uh, hey, it's uh, it's hilarious how he just just yeah. on and on and on and on. I love this, I love this, I love that, I love that. Well, that, that's definitely uh, you know in Japan, uh, most people know the word otaku, and you know that person in in Japan would be called a, a gun otaku, you know, or a gun maniac, you know, basically someone who just knows so much about it. You know, one thing, um, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but one thing that's kind of interesting about the use of guns in the film is how matter-of-fact they are. Um, you know, like, as you mentioned, you referenced the scene earlier where uh, Yasuda is, uh, is, uh, has pulled the gun on the, uh, on the uh, convenience store clerk. And they sort of, you know, taunt him and say, like, you can't shoot that. You're not a man, like that kind of thing. And then later on, we have, you know, the guy that you just talked about, the gun otaku guy. And then just the use of guns, uh, the uh, Yakuza character ends up with the gun and uh, and he's, you know, running after the guys trying to kill him. Or excuse me, at the Yakuza guy, the convenience store ends up with the gun and he's running with it the whole time. And then there's the... Um, police officer who actually the convenience store clerk that's actually the police officer's gun he had previously lost it which is a, a reference to uh kurosawa's um stray dog if i remember correctly um and but it's just so how matter of fact that they talk about guns in the film and how they're, they're looked at in the film when in reality in japan guns are illegal mm-hmm. you know there's only two people have guns 
police and Yakuza. You know, a common person does not have a gun in Japan. And if, if you were to see one in Japan, I'm sure anyone, if uh, any Japanese person were to see a gun just out in the open, they would freak out probably mm. because, wow. you know, it's such like a, I don't want to call it so much a taboo, but it's such like a freaky occurrence to see something that, you know, you've seen in TV or film basically, you know, kill people, you know. So, you know, knives and weaponry are a lot more common for the common person in Japan, I I would say. You know, if the common person has such such weaponry, it's going to be something like a knife or a club or something like that. Yes, really, the tail end of my notes, it's... uh, is it valid dramatically? I think it, it it is. I mean, it's not dramatically touching or anything heartfelt, but I I like you know the key line that uh, someone says some somewhere in the movie like "Run, find your life," and mm-hmm. that that works for me. It is sort of sound and valid dramatically and uh, and and confidently made too for a debut movie. I think I'm always impressed when debut movies are honed in uh, such a like pronounced way. You know, uh, you wonder sometimes that some people are just made. To, uh, right. to 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 like present their visions on screen, and when it's done very well from the get go, you realize that either you know, in worst case, they only have it in the end of one movie, but it's either like a, the first great building block uh, to like uh, for more work, and uh, and Sabu, um, you know, obviously kept on working, and uh, I I like it. It's um it's a uh, very entertaining and over before you know it, which is uh, rare. Again, 81 minutes, the rarest right. running running time in, you know, nowadays anyway. I mean, even big, uh, big, big, I would say American special effects movies, but the big special effects movies still need to go up to that dreaded two-hour limit, and I'm very, very allergic to it. <laughs> uh, 120 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I read, uh, I, I think I read the article, and if not, but... Um, the the article the headline was that all stupid movies should be ninety minutes, <laughs> uh, and and it was they they were using uh, uh, Luc Besson's uh, Lucy as an example because um, that that movie is like barely ninety minutes and I've always enjoyed and and I like uh, Luc Besson's take on like empty empty action entertainment you know he he's done that for a good ten years now and done it very well you know his transporter movies are not two and a half hours you know and no one nor do they need to be. Well, you know, the funny thing, you know, now that you're talking about it, and this is off subject, but uh, I remember the first time I saw um, Terminator 2 in the theaters, and, uh, you know, before I went to the theater, I, I just wanted to see, you know, the length of the film. I was like, it's like 120, I don't remember, 20-something minutes. And I was like, holy shit, that's a long time. <laughs> now 120 minutes is short, you know? Yeah, it, like I mean, 150, 160 uh, minutes sometimes. It's crazy. I mean, it works. Uh, in some movies, it works. I mean, I, I wouldn't want Goodfellas to be 90 minutes. You know what I mean? I, 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 right. that, that could go on forever in my book. But uh, well, it, all, it always depends on the strength of the story and the strength of it of the of the work as a film, right? I mean, you know, one of the greatest um, silent films of all time, which is uh, I don't remember the exact title, but it's about Napoleon, right? That thing is like. I think like six or seven hours long, you know, theaters can only book that like basically once every few years too, if I remember correctly, because, you know, it's it's just so complicated to set up and everything. Cause you know, you can't just have people sit through six hours of the film, right? You have to, you have to have, you know, um, you have to have uh, intermissions and things like that, you know, at, at key moments, you know, I have not seen the film, but among you know, film fans among cinephiles, you know, some people say it's the greatest film of all time. And that's like, what, six, seven hours, you know? 
you know, and then I've seen, you know, 10 minute short films where you're like, God, that was garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 10 so minutes I, of my life wasted. <laughs> it's always quality, not quantity. Then let's go to availability. It, as we established, it's, Sabu's work is not easy to find, uh, at least, uh, this, this run, you know, it's quite hard to get this one, and I've not detected any widespread English release aside from this possibly commercially available uh, U.S. VHS. It might have been, as you alluded to, as we talked privately, maybe some sort of press screener thing, but it was available on U.S. VHS in some in some shape or form under the title Nonstop. Uh, if you look that up today, again, you'll find a lot of uh, sellers on eBay selling your selling you the Liam Neeson movie. And uh, that might be good, but it's not this movie. So, uh, it was part of a series, and so you can see that on the low-res scan called uh, The Shooting Gallery that uh, producer Larry Maestrich, uh, who apparently produced Sling Blade, he curated that series for Lowe's Theatres, and uh, that's the... Uh, like origin of that VHS scan because um, yeah, uh, but uh, how available that was I don't know, but uh, that that's what is displayed on IMDb if you look up uh, Duncan Runner. And I, I think that that shooting gallery series may have only screened in New York because I read a couple, at least I found a couple of reviews and both of them were from New York writers or New York based writers I should say. Now, who's who knows if that ever made it out anywhere else? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Japan uh, released a movie in the early 2000s on DVD, uh, Happy Net Pictures, uh, but uh, this was a limited release and it never got a reprinting by either them or anyone else. So that is out of, pl- uh, out of print and no Blu-ray in sight uh, currently. And uh, what I watched therefore and what was sent to me is this Hong Kong sourced bootleg that uh, took the anamorphic Japanese video and put excellent English subtitles on that DVD because the original DVD in Japan did not have any subtitles. And, uh, you know, if one would have come out today or the DVD would come uh, back in print, I would love to, you know, buy it and support it, uh, uh, even though it's an unsubbed quality release. You know, I mean, I like the movie. I'd like to support it. And uh, I'll just have to watch watch it on the DVD-R when I do have to watch it. So, uh uh, but yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's the kind of sad uh, sad end note that it's not an easy movie to get. I mean, if you know your way around torrent forums, if you don't have access to the bootleg, then you can probably find a an online copy of it. But um, uh, that's the status of Dan Gallo Runner as of now. That's how I saw the film. Um, so and the fan subs on it were pretty good too. Yeah, I was absolutely surprised. I mean, they, they might have you know, existed a fairly good, fairly crappy copy of uh, the festival screening and had the subtitles there, or they just sat down and uh, translated the movie for the first time. You know, fans are that good at this, you know, especially uh, fans of uh, Japanese uh, cinema, whether it's uh, live action or anime. They they go they go to work, these fans, suburbs, and um, yep. free work, too. It's not a business, I don't think, anyway. Uh, but uh, there you go. Uh, we are taking a break, and uh, after that, we'll discuss the second movie of Sabu's and the second movie in this episode. It's called Postman Blues from 1997. So uh, listen to some uh, music from the movie, and we'll be right back. Welcome back in the second re- 
review. And the second movie, as I said, of Sabusi's Postman Blues from 1997, and plot from IMDb user called Too Dumb to Pick a Username. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's pretty good, pretty good. Uh, because I, I like yeah. this plot because it was kind of very fair and very, very like, yep, it's, it's descriptive without going overboard. So, the character of Sabaki, or Sabaki, played by Shinichi Tsutsumi, the, tri- uh, the, the Yakuza, uh, Yakuza from the first movie, is a postman who's not quite thrilled about his boring way of life. But his life is about to change when he delivers mail to his old schoolmate, Noguchi, played by Keisuke Horibe who is now a member of the Yakuza, the Japanese Mafia, and just finished cutting his little finger off as uh, Sawaki delivers the mail to him. He stays only for a short time, and Noguchi manages to smuggle a package full of drugs into the postman's bag. That's not enough, because accidentally his separated finger falls into the uh, bag too. And because Noguchi has been spied out for quite a while by the police, they think that the postman, Sawaki, has something to do with his criminal schemings and decide to stick, you know, to him, onto his feet, as the plot says. And when he bonds the postman with a fatally ill hitman, played by Ren Ushugi, it's clear for the police what he must be. A schizophrenic, paranoid, perverse drug dealer, murderer, and even terrorist sent from the Yakuza. And that's why I like this plot, actually, because that's funny as fuck because that's the funniest thing in the movie that the police are that good at determining things <laughs> and i have to say that imdb user's name is too dumb to pick a username but he's not too dumb to to write a pretty decent um plot line so. mm-hmm. uh, and the background since we mentioned uh, sabu has featured uh, an actor frequently i thought it would be fair to give a little bio on shinichi Sutsumi. And uh, unknown to me, but uh, probably to a lot of uh, Japanese fans, uh, mo- mostly known as a stage actor, so probably known to theater fans as well. But he's also an award-winning film actor, and he was born in 1964. He struggled as a teen and young adult, uh, you know, trying to find a job and footing. But the theater came calling in 1990 after he joined a theater project in Tokyo and was mentored and trained by British theater director David uh, Lavoe, I think uh, you pronounce his name. Uh, this uh, theater director has been active in Tokyo throughout his career, so that's why that connection was made. And he began subsequently mixing theater and film, as well as TV, as the decade rolled on, and got notices for, among other things, the TV movie Pure from 1996, and the TV series uh, Yamato Narishiko in 2000. But had of course earlier starred in uh, Sabu Fair, you know, and uh, nonstop uh, Dungan Runner, Postman Blues, as we're talking about here, and Unlucky Money. I think uh, possibly he's in uh, a movie or two uh, more because he starred in five of his movies. Uh, but cinema audiences uh, or mainstream audiences might have seen him in the multiple award-winning Always Sunset on Third Street by director Takashi Yamazaki, who was the director of Returner and uh, more recently Space Battleship Yamato. Right, and actually, he's also in the sequel to that film too. Right, I saw that today, like a uh, second one. So okay, that makes sense because it was probably a critical and commercial success, I guess. Oh, uh, very much so. Yeah. Is that the movie with that um, uh, dream sequence that features uh, Godzilla attacking? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was pretty badass. Like you know, Godzilla from a new millennium looks pretty good. Oh, dream sequence. Well, probably. Probably still good. <laughs> and uh, that performance uh, by uh, by Shinichi uh, won him the Best Supporting Actor at the Japanese Oscars. And the film, you know, Clean, you know, clean House, uh, that year won all the big big awards. Yep. So, And uh, probably deserved it, too. It seems like a very, very popular and uh, praised movie. 
uh, she needs to continually busy uh, judging by the filmography and uh, probably on stage too. Uh, because I, I got the impression that this is uh, an actor who enjoys his craft and wants to push himself and work and work and work and develop. So, uh, uh, but that's my spontaneous like impression reading about him. Do, do you have any spontaneous thought on the actor and his uh, reputation uh, in the cinema world or theater world? Even? Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, you know, looking at his career, I think most people know him primarily as a tv actor before he went to the movies of course but um you know um it's kind of interesting because uh you know i was living in japan in the late 90s when actually he was starting to get his career started uh in tv and then you know i start seeing him little by little in film so it almost kind of feels like his career was sort of like paralleling you know my <laughs> my life in japan it's an old statement by coffin john <laughs> yeah and um you know I, yeah, I mean, t- that's, I mean, he can attribute his success purely to me being of in Japan, of course. But it's kind of interesting because I, I look at the picture of him now and he's aged. I mean, he still is very much a handsome guy. Um, but, uh, you know, if you look at these older films that, you know, that, that we're talking about today, he, you know, it's very much, you could tell why he was, I mean, not only does he have skill as an actor, but he has the face of a, of an actor. Very much a handsome uh, uh, fella, and could go uh, like uh, and could transfer well from a yakuza role to this sort of more lowly, uh, lowly role, if you will, right. as a postman. Like, uh, hey, right. I believe him in both that role, and I believe him in this role too. Yeah, the funny thing is, you know, I watched the two films back to back, and you know, at first, you know, I was like, I was like, oh, that he's that's uh, Tsutsumi, that's the guy who was the yakuza in the last film, like. But now he's a postman, you know, I was like, at first it sort of, you know, there was a little like, um, how can I say it? There was a little, I don't want to say unbelievability, that's not the right word, but there was a little, almost like a little friction, you know, like, cause he's very much that Yakuza character in my head. And then now yeah. I'm now transitioning to a more, you know, um, modest character, you know, but he pulls it off really well. Uh, you know, especially watching the two movies like back to back, like it's it was not like you watched this half a year later. Like the, the, right, ju- right, the jump exactly. is like instant. Right, and you can definitely attribute that to his, uh, his acting skill. Definitely. Um, so, so yeah, not like always sunset is maybe his big like the role, his big role that, um, or, or uh, rather than like a role in a lineup of ten that the public yeah, the public knows about. So. Yeah, probably the one he's probably best known for. Although he has a bunch in his uh, in his filmography and what do you call it? TVography, his TV output that uh, I'm sure people would remember him for. It's cool that that director went from uh, Returner to to this. I remember Returner was not very liked on release. Um, yeah, I, I I never saw it, but uh, it was medium reviewed film at best. I remember the sci-fi sci-fi movie. Yeah, I remember it was very heavily uh, promoted in Japan, but then when it came out, it just, it wasn't so much panned by critics, but critics just basically said, eh, it's a movie, you know, it's okay. <laughs> came and went. It's not bad, it's not good. <laughs> and uh, from Always Sunset to Space Battleship uh, Yamato, that I don't know was if it was any good or not, but certainly was on the lips of... Uh, a lot of people since there was a live action movie and an animated movie kind of released almost at the same time uh, a few years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was actually a pretty fun film. Cool, very cool, very cool. I heard it was filled with uh, like a lot of award winning actors, but even in a sci fi action movie, special effects spectacle, that might be 
totally worthless despite, you know, but uh, cooler it was still a pretty fun film. Uh, but let, let's get into it. Um, Postman Blue is my brief opinion, and it was one of my briefest ones I've ever written, I suppose. Uh, uh, Postman Blues is bigger, longer, more expensive, but still very sabu, and it's a welcome, uh, like, second feature. Like, it's uh, you recognize uh, the tools it plays with, like watching uh, Dangan Runner before, but uh, it, it features uh, development, and uh, maybe it doesn't earn 110 minutes as such. There are some lulls there um, in the running time and uh, in the pace, but uh, very enjoyable and uh, even uh, dare I say it, a little bit touching too. So, yeah, that's my brief yeah. opinion. Well, well, in short, uh, what did you think? Well, it's kind of interesting that um, you know earlier you might remember I I told you that uh, I was uh, checking out the Japanese internet, you know, and I kind of came across that thread in which. Um, which, you know, a bunch of people were talking about, you know, how Sabu is so underrated, under-talked about. And uh, it's kind of interesting that the consensus among the, the the people in this conversation were that Postman Blues was his best film to date. Um, of course, I haven't seen all of his films just yet, but I have to say that if I, at least compared to uh, Dangan Runner, it's uh, much more developed uh, as far as the story goes. Uh, I would say if you compare the two, I would say Dangan Runner is almost like a film project that came from maybe a one-act play, whereas Postman Blues seems more like a real feature film that was written to be such. Um, you know, we haven't gone through, or we haven't yet gone through other films in uh, Sabu's career, but I think we could definitely see that from Dangan Runner to Postman Blues, a lot of growth, uh, both as a director and a, a writer. That was a very solid film. Like you said, has its touching moments, has its humorous moments. Uh, you know, Dangan Runner, like I said, sometimes the, um, the different genres of film, you know, the comedy, the action didn't mix all that well at times. Um, you know, being a, just being a short film, but Postman Blues, I think was a almost near perfect combination of, of different genres that didn't step on each other or, um, or anything of that sort. Just a, I thought a good combination, a solid film overall. And it opens kind of similarly. I mean, especially when you see these tightly, then you you see similarities. Like uh, you remember the opening to Duncan Run was um, almost uh, the sounds of the bank essentially. And uh, here we get the opening sound, the opening sounds of a post office. You know, uh, uh, you know, routines, sorting, uh, carts rolling by, and uh, it's this almost tedium in in this case. It's supposed to set, be setting up uh, tedium. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that actually because. I'm wondering if this is a theme that might appear in a lot of Zara films, which is, you know, the, the everyday man thrown into extraordinary situations, you know. It seems like so someone has summarized these movies like that, uh, judging by the Wikipedia entry, so maybe it's true for a few movies up until The Blessing Bell, possibly, which is said to be a little bit change of tack, so uh, who knows. Uh, and my type of, like, droll humor is evident earlier. I loved a little bit where... There, where he's out on his route and he's he del- he's delivering post by uh, by bicycle, so uh, robbed by car. So uh, so when he passes uh, this lady, she uh, asks him, "Ooh, ooh, deliver this letter for me." And here's where Sabu works the silent comedy really well. He receives the letter, he looks at it, pan camps pans over, and all two meters across the street is a mailbox. <laughs> and it's like this serviceman taken for granted and just adds to the tedium. But he, 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 he's this resigned character she needs to do, you know, so he doesn't 
you know, flip out. He, he, he doesn't flip out falling down style or anything in this movie. It's, it, that's not his, uh, uh, that's not his journey. But, uh, uh those moments, uh, they sound simple, but they got them difficult to pull off, I think, to just make the audience mm-hmm. get that beat, you know, like a panning of a camera and communicating the, the gag and the, and the, the story belongs to and all of that. Uh, I'll tell you, it must be hard. And it, but, but goddamn, it was that a funny moment. <laughs> yeah, I think again, you know, it just kind of shows Sabu's confidence to be able to, you know, have humor like that. Whereas, you know, um, other directors might make the joke a little too obvious, you know, but, uh, you know, Sabu just, you know, shows you what he's got to show and then cuts to the next scene, you know, it's like there's no lingering or, or, you know, obvious, you know, like laugh track or anything like that, right? And uh, I like also overall that even when this movie is absurd, the ca- there's no character uh, that provides us with an outburst of like, "What the hell is going on?" And this is demonstrated when when he walks in on his uh, on his uh, yakuza friend who's cut his finger off, and he never there's no outburst like oh my god we gotta get you to the hospital uh it's just rather ordinary and adds to that absurd aura of the movie too uh well uh that's happened so that's kind of hmm right you know the movie kind of uh, keeps an even uh, even uh like uh line it does a mood it doesn't peak and then uh and shouts at you which i i like that um atmosphere that it provides you know i wanted to uh, put in my uh, favorite humorous quote and i'm going to do it completely without any context as to the scene but my favorite quote in the film was almost all patients look like criminals <laughs> i'm sure you know the scene i i, I think so yeah i mean I, it, it's so much uh, you know the, the movie's total hilarity has, has to do with every scene with the cops who just adds and adds to that profile of the postman that isn't there. It absolutely isn't there, but then, hmm, he might, well, he, he, he's sexually inadequate and he must be a terrorist. You know, I was trying to think, you know, this is a, it, it's a common trope, I guess, in cinema or, you know, TV too, is the, you know, the mistaken identity thing. And it, I was trying to think of other films that have a similar setup you know, the only film that I really thought of that was kind of similar, but it's actually the inverse of Postman Blues is The Life of Brian, you know, the Monty Python film, also a comedy, where, you know, Brian is continuously mistaken as Jesus, right? But they always make it very clear to him, like, hey, there he is, he's our Lord Savior or whatever. And he's like, no, that's not me, you know? Postman Blues is like the almost exact opposite where everything is happening around the character, all this mistaken identity, but the character himself does, is completely unaware of that of what's transpiring around him. So. It's not naive. It just never crosses his path, you know, because he, he, he has his own path, but uh, they're building like this mountain behind him of uh, events. And whatever. Right. And the, you know, in the police, you know, I guess, you know, like to go along with the, you know, the bungling police type of, uh, type of uh, character but um you know the police just you know they come to these odd conclusions you know uh, like i said you know my my favorite quote is a, is one of those things uh, and you know i hope everyone can see the film and see what the context of that quote but the second one was you know well he's a postman and he carries packages so he must be a bomber you know <laughs> so it's it's like they're all like desperate for promotion and are yeah. making up crime crimes on the spot. You know, it's uh, it, it's wonderful and uh, it, it it's a thread that just is hilarious throughout the movie that they they 
it leads to some darkness, yeah, but it's also just perfectly, perfectly and wonderful and hilarious. And uh, and Sabu has some fun with style too. Uh, going back a little to the uh, the uh, whole business with the finger, uh, it's it. It's it's great fun that when the finger rolls into the bag, you have this like slow motion and uh, rumbling on the soundtrack. But when it drops into the bag, it cuts to regular sound of the room again, and it just plop into the bag, which which is a, a great from, from slow to fast ascent, but really well timed. And the finger itself is just a this is an excellent comedic device throughout the film you know until the very end too you know so to speak it's passed around a lot i guess you could say yeah it becomes really disgusting after a while obviously too <laughs> yeah and it's really hard i i'm finding it hard to describe like why this movie is so over the top hilarious but also very quiet at the same time uh, uh because it is i mean it's it's not this you know it doesn't draw attention to itself with every gag that it presents us with you know it's just so very stupid because the cop characters are very very stupid and silly but not these like we're cops and we're dumb they they just believe in themselves right well like you said before they're, they're very deadpan you know they come to these odd conclusions and essentially snowball the situation you know but <laughs> oh, yeah. but they do so with conviction and in such a deadpan manner that you know you it, whereas you could say well they are kind of bungling but in in the airway you could say well they're very determined to catch their man so to speak you know yeah one of my favorite quotes is also when they, I think it's the start of when they're trying to piece together that uh, daddy's a drug runner that dress, dressed as a postman and one of the subtitles say, he really looks the part, he's pretty bold. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's another thing where about uh, about his features as, as far as his criminality is concerned when uh, they bring in that one professor and he says like, well, as you can, as you can see, you know, they have a picture of him on the wall, and he's pointing out, as you can see, he has a very slim figure, you know, it's like, and it's well known that among among criminals, most of them have slim features, and they're like, okay, let's go get him! You know? <laughs> it's such a ridiculous thing. And uh, that, that's the cameo by our lead from Danganron, uh, uh, Tomorrow War, uh, Takeuchi, uh, right. plays the professor who comes in, so he's uh, in this movie. But but there is that serious aura to, to it all, too, because he is fed up as a postman, and he, he takes out his uh, you know, frustrations on, on the world. First, initially, kind of in a feeble way, you know, he goes to buy a lot of beer and I think he stole, he hasn't turned in his uh, mailbag. He has to deliver, deliver the mail. So he sits there opening up mail and, uh, encountering this 50% off coupons wherever he goes. And, uh, but, but if he finds this letter, you know, and, uh, that, uh, from this girl, uh, she's written to her auntie and, um, you know, goes into a series or of the movie where, what I, I can't explain what it is, if what his motivation is, but he has found something else to pursue, you know. And he 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 looks her up, and he also encounters in the. I think it's uh, an encounter that just happens. He encounters this uh, um, Yakuza hitman who has cancer too. So the movie, you know, quiets down and is also serious, which I appreciate. Yeah, I thought actually though that that was one of the weaker parts of the film you know i mean i can understand he he goes on a drinking binge essentially and then he ends up i guess because he's bored just going through his mailbag and opening up all these letters and packages and seeing like what's in them you know maybe to see like 
what happens to other people in their lives, you know, cause he's, he's living sort of a miserable existence himself. But, you know, he sort of fixates on this one letter, like as he, as he said, it was from this girl who's a patient in the hospital, but you never really quite get exactly what the connection is between them, you know, when they finally meet and, you know, they essentially play out what is the, um, the romantic movie part of the film, you know, they, they have their relationship together, but you, I thought that part was kind of weak because I'm like, well, why do they get together? You know, why why didn't she just like, you know, when he showed up um, at her uh, at her um, at her hospital room, why didn't she like freak out and say, oh, "Who the hell are you? Why do you have my letter?" You know, that kind of thing. You know, so I thought that part was kind of fudged and was probably the weakest part of the film. Yeah, I I, I can see that now. Yeah, that, uh, but I, I think he sticks with it and kind of gets us uh, fairly affecting places more so when he meets the hitman to be honest i didn't care as much for the story uh, with uh, with the sick uh, with the sick woman because uh, i just liked uh, i liked the actor a whole lot who's the hitman uh, ren uh, osugi which i presume is a veteran of some kind really 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 cool guy but of course the relationship with the the woman that's kind of like the you know, uh, I don't want to say the main point this is not the right word, but that's kind of like the meat of the film in in essence, though. I mean, if you think of the ending, right, of course. But. Definitely. Um, and and I was affected by the ending, I should say, so it definitely worked for me. I mean, I got a little choked up there during the ending. Spoiler free. Well, I was cutting onions at the time. That's why I had tears in my, my eyes. My balls are so goddamn big, I never cry. <laughs> um. You know, it's uh, might not be hugely uh, larger in budget, but it's still a, a slick movie, well shot, a lot of daytime shooting in uh, Tokyo, and um, so it's not this handheld, low budget art movie or anything. Uh, Sabu doesn't seem to play around a lot with his camera and have, have a need for it. You know, it's uh, you know even uh, even you know that quite extended rooftop sequence with uh, with the postman and uh, the hitman Joe is. Uh, a two shot of actors talking and uh, while saying that he's not a, I can sense it's not a dialogue director that kind of uh, lets the actors do their thing it looks very deliberately paced delivery and uh, so it's uh, it's but, but it's not this like Tarantino like boom 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 back and forth but uh, still enjoyable enjoyable uh, to see actors talk I always enjoy when that's done very correctly um, in terms of my sensibilities and uh, it, it's also the part of the movie that I thought the pace was uh, dragging a little bit because there's quite an extended uh, sequence involving both the girl, involving both the hitman and flashbacks and what have you but in the whole scheme of things I don't think that sequence ruined it or anything, it was just a very uh, it was slower than the rest of the movie so I mean maybe that's why it stood out you know uh, but 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 I love the flashback to um, I mean the movie is probably a bit more sillier than Tangerone but it still works. There, there's a almost airplane spoof style sequence where Joe flashbacks to um, the Yakuza hitman auditions because uh, you oh, got okay. you got audition for the job and you got to have representation because he, mm. he explains the in and out. You can't just walk in and be a hitman and uh, get a job in that business. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, do you think do you think that's funny? Does it fit? Uh, does it fit the movie to go that broad with the whole Yakuza hitman 
parody because they they feature characters from both Western movies and Asian Asian movies, and uh, it's very apparent. It's not subtle. This. Yeah, I thought it was a little ridiculous, but in the same in, in the same beat, I could say that you know it it did fit the, the spirit of the film, so to speak. You know, obviously, one of the characters that is being referenced becomes an important um, character in relation to the hitman character, uh, Joe. Yeah. So that's it's important to have her in there. Um, and of course, there's a reference to uh, Leon. The professional, um, because the character says we. <laughs> he, he says yes in French. That's why. That's why. <laughs> but it's a Japanese actor, presumably, is not a French actor or right, right. a Western actor. And the other reference is uh, uh, this woman is dressed up as uh, Bridget Lin in uh, Chunking Express, which uh, which gets on my nerves a little bit. But uh, it's it doesn't make Chunking Express. Uh, a style movie here, Sabu, thankfully. You know, no no stupid step framing while trying to, well, what's going on? She's apparently executing someone, but it's all blurry. I can't say anything. This sucks. Uh, but, but yeah, she she plays a, a crucial part in the movie. Again, we'll, we'll keep a spoiler free, but uh, I I like Wong Kar-wai's movies every now and again. That movie just gets on my nerves. And as I mentioned, there was a reference to uh, Ken Takakura, who's a famous actor um, who starred in a lot of the... Uh, Ninkyo Yakuza films, uh, he appears in a poster um, that uh, the Yakuza character um, idolizes, essentially. Do you think real-life Yakuza uh, irrationally idolizes screen heroes, too, like Takakura Kemp? That's hard to say. You know, um, know, the modern Yakuza, you know, the Yakuza, you know, is an evolving thing. You know, it's like, I imagine a certain degree some of them do. I mean, there is... A somewhat still an air of romanticism over being a yakuza. I mm-hmm. assume that there are some people who have some possible interest or obsession with yakuza because of that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's to the degree that that one character takes it, where he, he essentially, uh, you know, that Ken Takakura poster is basically like his guiding light. You know, yeah. I think at one one point of the film he actually says like, you know, look over me, Ken, or something like that. You know, that. that Maybe not to that degree. You know, like that's, it's a that, deity. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's much more of a cartoonish uh, type of character at that point. Yeah. But but it has valid warmth, this movie, though. I mean, the, the old cycling montage is set to cheery piano. It's the romantic montage, you know. It sets up, you know, valid warmth that's present throughout the movie. I mean, they don't do, you know, raindrops, da-da-da-da-da. It's not yeah. that on the soundtrack, but close <laughs> so so he's playing with kindness and warmth here he's breaking from the broad stuff like in an instant almost which i could fail but actually works very well here that uh, we could have a prize scene of very very silly cops very very excruciating uh, finger cutting uh, or almost finger cutting mm-hmm. and immediately are transferred to to a, a warmer and more dramatic part of the movie, and uh, that, that's that, that's a dangerous venture, which I think he proved even in Danganronda that he's quite apt at. Or and, uh, mm-hmm. it takes vision and confidence to pull that off, and uh, definitely does. As far as film references go, not only you know do we have the film re- references that we just mentioned, but he actually references Danganronner in the film too. Um, it's for non. Japanese speaking audiences, you wouldn't be able to catch it, unfortunately. But, uh, at one point, uh, of the film, the police decide that they want to sort of intercept the, uh, post, the postman, uh, while he's riding his bicycle. So what they do is they 
outfit a uh, fellow police officer who works in the traffic division and is said to be an Olympic uh, bike rider of some sort. I think uh, wasn't it said that he was and now is for some reason in the police force. <laughs> but they have a premium bicyclist at their disposal. So at one point, uh, one uh, one character asks the other one. He says like, "Oh, uh, does he ride fast?" And then uh, and then the other character replies. Dangan this, which means basically like a bullet. Ah, oh, there you go. So using that word dangan in the film, I, I think it's obviously referencing uh, Sabu's first film. Was it evident in the subtitles, or that was only a, um, uh, something you could pick up uh, if you if you understand? Yeah, sometimes you wouldn't be able to pick it up. I think in the, in the subtitles I had again, which were I believe a, a fan uh, translation, said like like a rocket. You know, which is a translation, but unfortunately it doesn't pick up the reference. Yeah, you would have to have like an additional thing at the top, like he's referencing Dang and Runners. I was first <laughs> Which you should also see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, all of this, I mean, even mid the romantic montage, you know, he's, uh, they're, they're standing again by the 50% off coupon, and this guy is, is so, uh, by now so, someone is handing out these things, and the cops are following both of them. He doesn't know anything because he's, he's happy now, and I, I, I just love that. That we know it, and that's and that they're absolutely foolish in their assumptions. Mm-hmm. That tickles enough, but the contrast of our postman on his own party, he has no idea. And but it's not uh, that he's naive or ignorant; he just has no idea. He's, he's not stumbling upon this. I mean, even when they try and intercept him, without spoiling it, it fails massively, and he doesn't know that he was pursued or anything. You know, he just keeps on cycling. Uh, and, and it's hilarious. It, it, he's what Sabu is setting up here is not gag after gag after gag, but a thing in the movie's atmosphere that is kind of, for me, continually hilarious. Uh, and that's... Uh, you don't get that with a lot of movies, you know, that they, it just... Uh, knowing that you're in it is uh, hilarious enough that you're in this type of story. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I, I would think it'd be very hard anyway, because I'm not a director, obviously, but to, to, you know, juggle all these different genres in one film, you know, it's so easy to, you know, drop the ball so to speak if uh, if you want to extend the metaphor of juggling um because you know you focus on one thing and then you forget the other and then you have you have a plot device that you want to reference but how do you reference it as you know a humorous device when previously it was more of a serious one you know there's so many things to consider and and like i said before you know I, this seems at least compared to non-stop uh, also known as Dangan Runner, is being, you know, much, uh, I don't say much, but a more mature film as far as direction and writing goes because, you know, even to the very end, um, I don't know if I want to ruin the, the comic moment, but there's, uh, when the Yakuza character, uh, Yasuda's friend, is riding his bicycle, he is at a point where he needs to use his brake, but can't for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a clever reference to, you know, what has happened to him earlier in the film. And I know the listeners can probably put one and one together. It's hard to mention this without spoiling it. Yeah, but, yeah. but again, you know, like you said, it's such a, it's not a throwaway moment, but it's a moment that doesn't call too much attention to itself, but enough where you get the gag and you get a, and you get a little chuckle out of it. Yeah. You know? and, and by this point, the movie is still, quite it it's leaning towards that something dark might happen something violent might happen and that and he's still 
does a, that it's literally like a, a little insert a little joke and that that's uh, that's i think brave man i think uh, that to just toy with audiences like that but but he's confident enough to to pull it off he's got that in his head like if we just do it like this and edit it like that it'll probably work you know i just know it and he's um you know i don't know if he's if he's his own editor or not but certainly as as uh, com- compiled this uh, this works that, that gag and the and the rest of the movie you know we have a reference to Duncan run that you can extract is of course that it has uh, they don't run in this movie a lot of it is uh, done on uh, bicycles uh, as an extended bicycling sequence but uh, it's not reputation as such but you you, you can probably say that uh, Sabu was fond of uh, you know a plot element like that you know that uh, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll have them on bicycles this time you know and I can't do car chases because as, as you said John it probably wouldn't have been able to do so so uh, but uh, riding around in the alleyways and all the small streets apparently it's uh, doable and um you can probably get a permit doing so, or, or even if you don't get a permit, he still managed to do so. But uh, yeah, it's very alive too. I mean, the 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 the, the city is, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're on location, and uh, it's uh, it's a very alive and colorful film too. Uh, that, that's what I like mm. about it. That most of it is set in during daytime, and that warrants uh, a little bit of more colorful cinematography. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm at the tail end of my notes. They're all again the the, the warmth and, and the drama. That not only involves the postman, but also, for instance, the hitman. You know, they, he manages to touch me anyway. I mean, there's a beautiful little scene where the hitman finds something buried at the beach that he buried as a kid, and mm. that kind of completes a circle. That where he's at in his life now. I mean, he has cancer, presumably terminal cancer, and this sort of, uh, you know, maybe completes it in a sad way, but certainly completes. In a way, you know, I, I, I want to be as vague as possible. I think it's a well-placed, uh, well-played moment. And uh, movie continually earns both darker moments, violent moments, because there isn't bloodshed here. I mean, again, the finger, it's a bloodshed mm-hmm. from the beginning, man. Yeah. Uh, and uh, being an absolutely <laughs> over-the-top broad comedy too it all earns it for some reason it kind of coheres but because the movie is coherent too we there's a lot going on but i never felt like i was uh, I, I i never struggled to uh to uh find out what was going on and where we were in the story it keeps the coherence level pretty uh, at a pretty solid uh, solid level and i'm 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 a pretty dumbass viewer too so bear that in mind one thing I want to ask you, and I think that's well put as far as, you know, the summary of the film. One thing I want to ask you is, uh, did you catch the Sabu, um, uh, the Sabu, uh, excuse me, the Sabu appearance in this film? No, I didn't. I mean, uh, for some reason, I, I kind of just, uh, I, again, I knew what he looked like, uh, but I, I didn't look for it because he probably didn't draw attention to it himself. And, uh, I, but, but where, but where was he, as a matter of fact? He was, well, if you think of the structure of the Yakuza, you know, just think of there's a big boss and there's a middle boss and there's all the, all the, you know, the little guys, right? And, but of course all the little guys need to have, you know, someone to organize them too, right? They have to have, you know, a little leader or something like that. He plays that leader character. So when he's the one who's, when he's interrogating the, um, the Yakuza character, uh, Yasuda's friend with the pinky, you know, he's the one who's saying like, hey, where's the pinky? You yeah, know? that's right. That's right. I think he's got like, um, he's got a really ugly colored suit. I think it's like yeah. maybe like burgundy or something, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, movie Yakuza anyway are always very garishly dressed. 
Yeah, it's, it, that, that, that's a wonderful scene. It's a kind of excruciating to, uh, because, uh, Sabu almost gives us a finger chopping moment and that, 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 that chopper is digging ever so slightly into the finger and it's like, and you hear the sound effects too, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sensitive to gore or anything, but that was such, was so well drawn out right. and, uh, in, in the context of the story, uh, our postman is, uh, rushing to this scene to, uh, Give him back the finger. I'm not. I'm not sure why the Yakuza wanted back his finger. Why? Oh, they want. They want proof. They want proof that he did it. All right. It was. Gotcha. Gotcha. Otherwise, it's kind of weird because when you think of it, it's like, well, his proof would be just take off the bandage and show him your finger. You know. But, he even asks, like, is it in there? <laughs> right. 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 But I think the. I think the idea is that the Yakuza would not only want proof, but they also want to kind of keep it as a trophy. You know, as something. <laughs> To show you, because, you know, you cut off your finger when you make a mistake, right? Uh, yep. Your um, your pinky, right? Um, so maybe if you make an arm mistake, they would show your pinky and say, hey, remember this? And when it is delivered to it, I mean, it has been stepped on and <laughs> yeah. it's started to rot as well. It's such a disgusting little thing. Um, I just remember one of my favorite police moments is, again, they don't... As Sabu plays this, uh, they are not following any regulations at all because they find this package which does contain drugs, but they think it's a bomb. So what do these boneheads do? They listen to it really closely. Not call in a bomb squad, but listen to it really closely. And when it's not ticking, we're good. Yeah. Which is <laughs> <laughs> like, again, it seems like they're all like, find something and you'll get a promotion. Like, find something. <laughs> well, he's a sex maniac. Good, you found something. <laughs> uh, it's it, it, it's actually hilarious. It's not meant as a critique. I think it's just meant to be uh, funny. I mean, it's not confessions of a dog style critique here. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's not what Sabu is uh, aiming at. Uh, so I I thoroughly recommend it. The Lala talked of is uh, easy to. Uh, I, I did watch it in two sittings. I I, I don't know why I thought uh, it felt a little bit massive to go in this during yesterday i might see it in one city next time but it felt like i probably watched half now digest it a little bit and then the second half uh, the morning after and i certainly did it it felt i don't know why it felt more complete to do so but um that's why i did but by no means a super slow movie despite being 110 minutes but uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's good i liked it it's a uh, these two are good starting points if you want to see what uh director sabu is about i mean do watch both of these, so um, so there you go. Uh, by the way, um, I I don't know if this is a trait that Japanese directors use, but it seems after watching two movies by Sabu that he his directing credits that comes at the end of the film is all in English, uh, rather than English for, uh, above Japanese uh, below. I think you know it's what's kind of interesting I've always found about Japanese film is that a lot of people, um, actors and staff. They'll adopt nicknames, you know, and that's probably obvious, you know, I mean, with Sabu's, like we said, that, that was a character that he played who was in his debut film appearance. That was the name of the character, and it's just a name that kind of stuck. A lot of them will write in English, a lot of them will, will write them in capital letters, uh, also, you know, and a lot of them will write, like, or for example, like, Tomorrow Taguchi, right? Tomorrow's not his first name, <laughs> obviously. You know, what, you know, why adopt that name? And not only is it Tamaro Taguchi, but you, you're pronouncing it, I know, like Tamaro Wo. It doesn't use the standard Japanese character at the end, so that's why you get the Wo. It's, it's a little complicated, but they like to use these sort of off names and stuff. And I think part of it is because 
um, you know, Japan, Japanese entertainment has a history of using nicknames and different names. You know, if you think of Kabuki and stuff like that, you know, the characters, uh, the actors don't use their real names. They use their Kabuki names, Mm -hmm. for example. And I think that's just something that's passed on through the entertainment tradition. Another thing is, uh, what I like about it is that it gives the film or at least the actor or actress or director kind of like a almost like a punk feel to it you know <laughs> yeah I, I think you know later on in later episodes when we talk about sabu i think we could definitely compare him to other so-called punk directors you know who have kind of taken the you know the more the diy approach to filmmaking you know rather than going through let's say a studio system or relying on solely on tv to get movie jobs you know sabu kind of just decide he wanted to do it himself so he you know apparently he was already a good writer and he had enough friends uh, you know in the film industry who believed in his work you know to you know give him some money or you know stand behind his projects and you know look where he is now you know and you know, that's to me that's like punk rock you know minus the the music right so non-spoiler but I'll just ask you this it's kind of an internal thing here what a place to place the directed by Sabu uh, you know the, the, the place he uh, places it in Postman Blues is kind of uh, special if you remember where directed by Sabu hits you the funny thing is like when I was watching the film I, was, I watched it last night you know I was thinking okay I'm going to watch all the way up until the credits start and I'm just going to quit because it was getting already getting kind of late by that point and I was like directed by Sabu I'm like okay I can finish it now and then it continues. I'm like, okay, I gotta watch the last three minutes, I guess. It's more storytelling. It's more storytelling below, uh, under the credits and after the credits. That's uh, have stuff take place underneath it, man. Or remember, like what Jackie Chan used to do was, uh, you know, bloopers. You know, the stunt bloopers. That that was fun too, right? So, so I have a feeling the directed by Sabu, possibly he'll play with that in subsequent movies, possibly. You know, maybe like 10 minutes before the end, directed by Sabu. <laughs> That's almost a trademark right there. Right? Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, do you know if Beat Takeshi, when literally like the, the him being referred to as Beat, did that originate in Japan or in the West? Do you, do you know that? Because it's all Beat Takeshi Kitano or just Takeshi Kitano. Uh, that was his, uh, his comedic name. Really? So, yeah, he was part of a group called the Two Beats, and his name was Beat Takeshi. And let me ask my wife who the other character was. Oh no, not Two Beats, no, not Beat Takeshi. Akiyoshi. Okay, so the other. Uh, he wasn't lying, people. He actually can't speak Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> his foil, so to speak, or his comedic partner was Beat Kiyoshi, uh, who. Has not had quite the career that Beat Takeshi's had, but still is very you know, well known in Japan. And still on Johnny Mnemonic for some reason he was only Takeshi. I, I like Johnny Mnemonic for the record, but I was like, hey, where did the, where did the full name go? Well, then he's known you know Takeshi Kitano, and then you know it's just all it's all kind of based on you know how he wants to be presented, I guess. Uh, I don't have any other notes, so uh, before we do the availability, anything you want to share, communicates. You know, like I said before, it's a very solid film, definitely worth watching. Um, you know, I'd like to read, um, not read, watch the rest of Sabu's film and see if this was indeed his, his best as, you know, as I'd read from those, uh, 
those people, uh, those Japanese folks who were talking about him in that one thread I mentioned earlier. And I'm kind of wondering if this may be like a film that's sort of characteristic of that era because, you know, we're not, we're not too far away from that 90s era in which we can really say like, oh, these are, these are the films that really stood out. I mean, obviously the original Ring, Ringu, you know, is one of those films or, you know, uh, uh, Bitakeshi's Hanabi is probably one of those films too, but I'm wondering if this might be included in that list as, you know, that sort of era defining film, or if it's just maybe a minor era defining film or not. But I guess we'll see. Regardless if it's talked of extensively, at least, uh, uh at least you have your individual experience of it. You know, yeah. to say, in, in this case, very positive. So, uh, But uh, the availability is essentially identical, uh, minus the US VHS release, as uh, far as I know. I, I couldn't really find anything. So uh, it got a disc release in Japan, again, from Happynet Pictures and Beam Entertainment. Uh, but the same here, it was a limited release uh, and wasn't being, uh, hasn't been reprinted by anyone else. But regardless, it's not in uh, it's not in print, even if they did do a, a second pressing. Even DVDs are noted as limited pressing sometimes when you look them up on Amazon or CG Japan for a reason, possibly that's too expensive to possibly do a major pressing um, because it, it was not a box, like limited edition box set or anything with a finger uh, in in the box or anything. That's not a limited thing. It's the, it was just a limited DVD pressing and uh, no Blu-ray in sight for this one either. I mean, I clicked Sabu on CG Japan and uh, we, we got some some of the later movies. I mean, even Miss Zombie was uh, on there or announced for mm-hmm. DVD and Blu-ray. So that's uh, that's uh, that's getting out there at least. But I'm sure someone maybe what's the name of that distributor again? Happy Net or whatever it is, or or maybe some other distributor will eventually box his films together yeah. again. Yeah, if they still have it, if they are still around, that, that I don't know. But uh, so someone must have it. It can't be in rights limbo. That would be just stupid for such a recent movie. So Yeah, it would be sad too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what we watched was, again, a, a Hong Kong-sourced bootleg uh, using the anamorphic Japanese video and, again, putting excellent English subtitles on it uh, because the original DVD one uh, was not equipped with original uh, with English subtitles. So, um, I'm... Um, Again, if I would have found uh, the original DVD, unless it was uh, $500, then uh, I'd, I'd pick it up in a heartbeat because uh, I'd, I'd, happy to, uh, I'd be happy to own both this and uh, Dungan Runner. And the uh, Japanese uh, ones are uh, cool to have, despite. So, so uh, yeah, next time, uh, we no moves to announce for the next Sabu episode. I mean, I think I said I, I envisioned doing four episodes rather than, like, the extensive uh, Oshi series that we did. That, that wasn't by any by the stretch of the imagination, bad, but it did went on. Uh, so, but I haven't picked the next one because my creative process, if if that's what you can call it, I, I need to start the research on the second one and then get a feel for which of the neck of which two movies to go for next, which makes sense. It doesn't need to be critically praised or anything. I just need to uh, find two movies that make sense, even if it turns out to be. Monday and the Blessing Bell, or Unlucky Monday and the Blessing Bell. Uh, but uh, it'll be announced, is my, that, that's my long way of saying that they will announce the next two movies as on the, on Facebook and, uh, and Twitter and what have you. So, um, uh, but regardless, uh, I'm, I'm envisioning four episodes, and if Miss Zombie is, if we're done with the series and then Miss Zombie is still left, then maybe we'll, we'll do a bonus episode on Miss Zombie just to be uh, current. But uh, we'll see. I, I would like to cover it just to 
put a, like a period on the coverage, uh, so to say, and finalize it as uh, best we can. Uh, so that's it. Let's uh, finish this one up. And uh, this has been Japan on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. Uh, visit our site, podcastonfire.com. Check out the other shows and the bonus episodes. And email us if you have any um, experiences watching Sabu movies that you want to share. You know, there are maybe six people on that Japanese uh, forum, and now there are two more on the podcast, so you can be the ninth Sabu fan <laughs> by writing to us. Facebook.com forward slash POF Network is our uh, page that you can like. We also have the discussion group uh, where you'll find uh, updates and uh, various uh, chat. Uh, type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar to find it. Tweet us and follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. And my writing of uh, Hong Kong movies and Taiwanese movies and uh, Godfrey Ho movies, uh, so goodreviews.com and sleazykvideo.com is my video review home on the web, the little, little spoken, uh, spoken, uh, spoken audio video reviews kind of thing. And uh, tweet me at twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. And uh, finally, not finally, uh, Japan of Fire is on iTunes and rate and subscribe to us if you want to have them delivered promptly to, promptly to your device and leave a written comment if you want to share something about the show. And finally, stream us on Stitcher if you don't like downloading podcasts to your device, uh, available online, but also through the application to available to your uh, iPhone and iPad or even Android. And once you're in Stitcher, search search for Japan on Fire, and uh, you'll find us, and you can add us to your favorites. So, thank you very much for the support over there. And finally, your plug for your blog, your blog home, buddy. Uh, yeah, again, we're located at vcinemashow.com. That's S-H-O-W. Uh, we're on Twitter as vcinemashow. Again, S-H-O-W. And, of course, we're on Facebook just as vcinema. You know, definitely check us out if you're into Asian cinema. We're also looking for people who will contribute to the blog. Um, we have approximately right now eight regular contributors and uh, we could always use others. So if you have a particular angle, a particular thing you want to write about, we'd especially like people who uh, can, who are interested in writing longer form articles. You know, things like you know, directors' retrospectives or regional retrospectives or our era retrospectives. You know, things like that. If you're interested in that, get in co- contact with us. Even if you're, you know, not sure, you know, you're not a professional blogger or you, you've never really wrote, written on the internet before, you know, just get in touch anyway. We're, we're not a professional, uh, outlet, but, uh, and we will help you. Uh, like I mentioned, um, I'm one of the EICs and, uh, Dr. John Bear is also EIC and we're, I, I believe very, both, both of us very good editors as far as uh writing is concerned so we can help you out if uh if you need that help or inspiration or whatever just get in touch with us at show at gmail.com actually i think um uh, our email address is is on the blog so just check out the blog so and then write to us and get in touch with us okay excellent excellent so thanks for ha- yeah thanks for having me on by the way Ken. No, no problem. <laughs> it almost sounded like I, I want to get off now. <laughs> I don't want this podcast anymore. Uh, no, but f- thank you very much, John. And uh, it's a, uh, I like that you're a regular contributor on this show. It certainly brings uh, the perspective uh, because I don't know a lot of things about Japanese cinema and a lot of uh, context and info, and you can provide that. But you're also, 
you're also a good one to have a, a, a healthy movie discussion with. So uh, I enjoyed that. So uh, thank you for joining me for this series as well. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back. So thank you for this for listening to this first foray into the works of Sabu on a, on a podcast. So uh, I've been kind of being with me was Coffin Joe. Bye bye. <laughs>